internet after a lot of fucking problematic attempts to get this show on the road. We are here. Another episode of Link to the Cast. I am your party host and uh, somewhat insane sound engineer, Dave Ryan. Joined here, not not this week by Brian McNamara, but by the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark, I apologise if I uh, strained your sanity somewhat throughout this whole process. It's just like there are forces in the works that are trying to prevent... Oh, the voice mixer wasn't working, then I had changed a setting, or the Audacity had updated, and I hadn't noticed. You know what? We're here. We're here. We're here. Let's just... You know, let's just call it a win. Yeah. We're, we're here, we're recording, the levels look fine for do now. It, do it. If in two hours I go back and you can't hear us at all, we're just going to quit. I was going to start this conversation with a, how are you doing? But you know what? I'm... I think you can pretty much tell how I'm doing. <laughs> but we're here now. I can hear the height of tension in your voice. 25th episode. I know, right? It's a landmark and we yeah. still don't know how to work <laughs> fucking the, the, the software we've been using since the very start. But however, how's your week been, Mark? Uh, you know, here and there, a couple of job interviews and... And bits and pieces and things are starting to move well i mean the hogs are turning the, the goalposts are moving the actual oh. goal itself uh, <laughs> you know no it's been it's been all right we've been watching some daredevil yeah season daredevil. two came out uh yesterday uh, as we're recording this we're recording this saturday afternoon so where are you up to because i'm up to episode nine i am um, up to where did we finish yesterday three that is where i'm up to three because uh, i can't no i think four i think four I think we got four in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Four. Yeah, we got four in over dinner uh, yeah. yesterday. And uh, it's real good. Uh-huh. It's real good. Don't want to do any spoilers, obviously. Don't People go, here won't listen uh-huh. to it. So don't worry. You don't have to fast forward. There's going to be no spoilers here. It's real good. Yeah. And you can attest, now being five episodes further than me, still real good. Still real good. Still real good. Yeah. 13 not that, episodes. Not that I'm the, the barometer, because I'm not You're exactly... not the TV guy or the I'm comics guy. I'm not the TV guy, or the Marvel guy, but... Yeah. As someone who likes to think he has a... As a TV and Marvel guy, first three episodes, or first four episodes, thumbs up for me, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, um, uh, this is not exactly a spoiler, but some of the fight scenes are quite good. Oh, so, yeah, shocker. There you go. Um, I saw something else this week. Oh, what did you um, see? We're kind of not telling Brian at the moment, because uh, I have to go see it with him, but myself and the girlfriend were kind of bored... Um, and looking for something to do, so we went to see Hail Caesar, oh, the new oh, Coen okay. Brothers movie. Yeah. Uh, I know you know this about me, Mark, but the listeners at home might not. Massive Coen Brothers fan. Indeed. I am. Uh, you'll find Coen Brothers films in my collection over there in the Blu-ray in our media zone. I can attest for that. You will find um, on my wall the, the display posters I have. Shout out to display.com. Um, I have those brushed metal kind of very simplistic uh, kind of minimalist posters for movies. And two of them on my wall are... Big Lebowski and Over the Earth. If they'd like to advertise movies. for us, that'd be great. That well. would be fantastic. Or throw a free display my way. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> I have a few of my eye on. Um, but yeah, Coen Brothers generally, like all the way back to um, like Hub Circle Proxy, Barton Fink, all stuff like that. Big fan of the Coen Brothers, always eager to see what they're going to do next. And this does not disappoint. Uh, not to, because you haven't seen it, and not to spoil it for people at home. But basically, um, it's strange, and my, my girlfriend was pointing this out to me as well, it's strange that George Clooney doesn't do more comedies. Him being the, the quote-unquote a... star of this. Like, I really think Josh Brolin is the actual star. He's definitely got more screen time. Mm. But the sh- every time George Clooney is involved, he kind of steals the show. Yeah, and he's a man bit. who does have a, a natural charm and charisma he, about him. Yeah, and he has and it's this, not even a hateable charisma. He has this brilliant comic timing to yeah. him. Oh, yeah. There's one particular scene that involves him doing multiple takes of a reaction shot on the film he's shooting in it. That is just like, he's not even saying anything. And I was... 
howling with laughter. Uh, who else is great in it? Jonah Hill is in it for a very little amount of screen time. He's brilliant in it. Scarlett Johansson's brilliant in it. Josh Brolin is brilliant in it. Um, pretty much everybody. There's like um, a few of the kind of the regular Coen Brothers people. Tilda Swinton is in it and she's brilliant. Has to be said, Jonah Hill is really branching out because I wouldn't really think of Jonah Hill in a, in a Coen Brothers film. Yeah, well, like, I think what, uh, what made me think more of it, he can do that kind of thing is that he was in um, Django a little bit yeah, yeah yeah, and he was very very good in that and that very much the the bit he was in with it because i'm not going to be afraid of spoiling Django. it's been several <laughs> years now but like him kind of with the clansman and that kind of reminded me very much of the dumb clansman in a brother where art thou mm, yeah. you know with a big dan and stuff like that like he he was very very good and he's not he's he's not in very much of this film but he's great uh it's wildly funny if you really enjoy coen brothers stuff i would say if you don't enjoy enjoy coen brothers stuff it there's about a 50 50 chance if you're going to enjoy it or not it's very very coen brothers um it's also a good pastiche and homage to like the golden age of cinema um so if that's your kind of um your kind of bag then you're going to enjoy it and there's a lot of kind of nods and winks to that that kind of era and stuff like that that if you've kind of if you read up or if you've watched up on those kind of films you're going to have a good time. Also this week, Mark, you were in town for your first St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. Yeah, and you I learned got, what most Irish people know very quickly is that you don't go outside or anywhere near Dublin on Patrick's Day. Well, no, I mean, I don't know because I didn't go anywhere near Dublin well, this to is, find this out. This is the advice you've been given by it's, us since you got here. It's kind of the, the consistent theme I hear is to avoid Dublin at all costs on March yeah, the 17th. it's just the, the hell mouth. Yeah. Like, it is, I, I kept meaning to show you the Earth Cam, the, the live running camera up in Temple How Bar. many Dublin St. Patrick's Days have you if, done? I have done a couple. Uh, one when I was too young to know any better and one when I was so old I should have known better yeah Um, the last one was a couple of years ago and I ended up coming home quite early because it's like oh public transport is just going to get messier and messier from this point on so I'm just going to get the fuck out of here Um, I don't really care for it there's just too many people it's just like my whole kind of going out thing at this point in my life is just like I enjoy kind of sitting back where I can hear other people talk and have a few drinks and have a laugh yeah and I can um I can admire that because I'm of a, a similar ilk. So uh, I kind of take your advice when you say, uh, like, your kind of social desires, wants, and needs at this point in life are very similar to mine. So mm. if you tell me that it's not something I need, I'm going to go with it. Yeah, like, that's why we, we go to, and another shout out to a, a bunch of people that we, we quite enjoy, the Gin Palace. That's why I like going there, is because it's there's good music, it's quiet enough that you can hear people talk, and uh, there's activity, but not too much. Mm. I yeah. enjoy that place and free Wi Fi doesn't hurt always helps always um helps. so yeah your first we took you downtown for what was your first experience of a regional saint patrick's day parade your thoughts any notes that you have um your review i mean i i know that newbridge has a local concrete company now yeah yeah three concrete trucks in a row um basically the the parade was a kind of a split a 50 50 split of uh talking about well, I think this year, I'm, I'm presuming this year in particular, there was a little bit more kind of 19, 16-centric focus. Yeah, it's not usually that much. Yeah. Like, it usually is very St. Patrick, yeah. <laughs> like, but not very... So, so this year was a little bit, not... I presume is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so, and I've been kind of helping you with some bits and pieces and, and kind of getting an understanding uh, more about uh, that part of Irish history. Because to be fair, as far from what I remember, 
uh, we didn't really learn that much about Iris history. I wasn't paying too much attention because I was yeah. sitting next to Jack. Well, for, yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, the whole thing as well is that, like, um, kind of from the English perspective, um, sometimes and understandably so, some of the uh, the shadier aspects of Euron history are glossed over for good reason. Like, yeah, uh, most people kind of. Um, that would have gotten through second level history wouldn't know who Black, Tan- Black and Tans are for example or anything like that but um, yeah it's kind of the, the regional parade at Patrick's Day in Ireland is kind of a curious thing and a bit of a shit show like it's kind of one of those things like the Late Late Toy Show that if you're really young you enjoy it because like all oh, bright colours music woo uh, if you're a parent you enjoy it because you're watching your kids enjoy it but if you're our age you enjoy it because it's a bit of a hot mess sometimes Um it's a lot of local GAA clubs. You saw that. Um, it's a lot of local businesses pimping themselves out. Um, curiously, there were a lot of minion things. Well, uh, <laughs> there was one minion who I will say was giving it socks with the dancing. He was. Uh, yeah, like minions are a, a kind of like a worldwide, uh, a universal language at this point now. Yeah, so. as our friend John McGee once said, try to think of the last time you went 24 hours without hearing or seeing a minion. Exactly, yeah. Um, so that's but kind of frightening. It, it you know it had that kind of small town vibe to it, and as like from where I'm from, um, or where I was living for a year in in Hertfordshire, um, like that has its own small town kind of vibe to it, and it you know you do feel part of the community. Mm. Um, so no, it was it was cool. Do you have over in England because I've always been curious? Do you have a kind of parallel where you have a thing where there are regional parades on particular days? Um, like I know you celebrate like Guy Fawkes Day and stuff like that, but I don't know what to be associated with parades or anything like that. Just bonfires. I know. Oh God, what the hell is it called? Because I learned about some stuff like for for May Day, for example, in a lot of the really really uh, smaller villages, um, they do stuff where they'll do kind of small parades. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the guys that kind of walk around in in their whites with a sort of like a bowler hat, and they have the kind of handkerchiefs, and they kind of fling them up. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and with stuff like that, they'll um, have like a, a kind of queen of the village kind of scenario. But that's in the really, really smaller towns. Um, but for the most part, no, stuff like St. George's Day, that's more of just an excuse for everyone to be really, really racist and not feel bad about it, or less bad about it, I guess. Um, other than that, nah, praise. That's usually, like, you'll have the, the big uh, parades in London for uh, the Queen's... Uh, birthday or, or another jubilee or another jubilee like that. that kind of stuff yeah that's about it really um but i i don't really pay attention to a lot of that because i'm not really nationalistic you know case in point i've spent there's no most of the last about you. i spent most of the last year outside of the country now i'm yeah. kind of happy to keep on doing that for a while um yeah okay so that's your first st patrick's day out of the way you're, yeah. you're a baptism of fire in some respects Indeed. um so this is our 25th show mark and before we kind of dive into things, I do want to make a note at the top here uh, about our schedule for the next couple of weeks. It's, uh, it's going to be a bit erratic. going to be interesting. Uh, yeah. We're going to hopefully have a podcast of some sort each week for the next three weeks. The problem is, myself and Mark, um, about nine days from now... From you call this a recording, problem. Ah, nine days from now, isn't it? It's on the Monday we're going? Oh, or or well, so we, we won't be recording on the Monday. So about nine out. days from now... We'll be going to America, pointing at sign. We are heading to Dallas. We are going to Razzlemania. 
Now, remind me, have you been to America before? No, I have never been to America before. This is going to be... Has Amo been to WrestleMania before? Amo's never been to WrestleMania. He's been to America. Yeah, he's been to America several times. He's never been to WrestleMania. I've never been to WrestleMania. Bronny's never been to WrestleMania. I don't think Bronny's been to the US. Yeah. There's four of us going. Um, the reason we're saying this well, is... Well, there's 85,000 of us going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the reason I say this is because next week we will have a podcast continuing on as normal, hopefully, mm-hmm. before yep. we go. One more with yourself, myself and Brian. Yep. What we will then be doing is while we're traveling, we're putting up a special giant size annual podcast, much like with comic books, as we explained on one of our live streams this week, much like with comic books. They would have their canon issues and then at the end of the year or whenever they would take a giant size annual special that exists outside the current continuity. So we're going to call them giant size annuals for now at least. And it's going to be yourself, myself, um, Amo, who's going with us, uh, Amo version one, the man who designs our lovely cover art for our podcasts. He's a good one. Uh, who will be coming with us and we're going to be talking about our road trip. It's going to be a shorter than normal podcast, I expect. Uh, just kind of having a bit of fun talking about the trip and the things we're going to do including ladies night at the gun range <laughs> uh, and then the following week we'll put up a road report um, I'm thinking about um, you know recording a, bits and pieces here or there on my tablet in our hotel room and possibly um, taking a look back at uh, a wrestling game or something like that just oh, yeah. some sort of uh, tenuous link to video games mm-hmm. so you can keep an eye out to them and then the week after we get back as normal we'll be back with Link to the Cast episode 27 it will be at that point then so just to keep everybody uh, well aware that we are making a commitment to do some sort of weekly podcast even if it is a non-canonical one while we're travelling so there will be content without further ado Mark I think it's time we kick things off and actually talk about a video game or two so playing this week hey check it out I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2 Scott you are the salt of the earth oh thanks I meant scum of the earth thanks Mark, what have you been playing this week? Um, Coming straight to you. I don't think anyone's going to be shocked by this. I'm still down the well. Way down in the hole. Oh, so deep. Although, I do feel... How many versions are we at now? Um, Pokemon, by the way, this is. For anyone who's missed the last couple of episodes, well, Mark, got... is, Mark is deep in the Pokemon well. I, I shoved out all of the Pokemon games that I have just to kind of see what I can do with any of them, which is not a lot. Uh, I'm still mainly focusing on my copy of Sapphire. I am playing your copy of Ruby because you've got a bunch of legendaries I can get my hands on. Uh, I'm I'm at the point now where I can just basically do all the EV training to my heart's content. So that is pretty much it. Your ditto hunt was concluded uh, three or four days ago. I still have a little bit to do for reasons that I'm not going to go into because (laughs) I don't want to scare (laughs) off the five listeners that we have. Um, but what I will talk about that is Pokemon related uh, I played the demo that dropped yesterday for Pokken Tournament for the mm. Wii U yes tell the listeners at home for those of them who aren't aware of what Pokken Tournament is on the face of it what is Pokken Tournament uh, Pokken Tournament is a uh, kind of like a 2D slash 2.5D fighting game by Bandai Namco Studios who are quite famous for the Tekken series uh, series I'm very very fond of. Now, if you look at the Pokken tournament, that explains why you're always throwing people into volcanoes. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's uh, a habit of yours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you look at the Pokken tournament logo, if you look at the fact it's made by Bandai Namco Studios, you would come to the conclusion that basically this is a uh, Tekken fighting game that uses Pokemon characters. 
which is saying that I'm all for. And certainly when I was looking at some of the gameplay footage with the likes of a, a luchador Pikachu hitting a Stone Cold Stunner. The greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, you could say that I came into this with some prime optimism. Hmm. Uh, so this came out actually in the arcades back in 2015 in Japan. Okay. Um, so they've been obviously working on a home port since then. And this, the final game is not till July, I believe. Or something like that. It's, it's not for a while yet. No, no, no. It comes uh, comes out March 18th worldwide. What is it? Yep. Then it's already out. Uh, probably as we speak now. It's actually out, yeah. That's quite interesting. I For some reason, I looked it up and I thought, it's a, maybe it's some, some territory. No. So July 16th is 2015 of when the arcade release was. Ah, uh, that might be it. Yeah. Anyway, so as I said, from the logo, from the fact that this is by Bandai Namco, you'd be... Wanting to believe that this is a Tekken fighting game that uses Pokemon characters, um, mm. I feel from the the couple of fights that I had, it feels more like a Smash game using Pokemon characters. Which I was very excited by when you said this because, like, I'm not a fighting game guy, but I love Smash Brothers. Yeah, and I have put an upsetting amount of time into. Yeah, you're right. March 18, 2016. Well, that's good for you. I'm glad you're happy that this plays more like Smash than plays like Tekken. But yeah. I'm I'm the uh, stout firm believer that Smash is not a very good game, not a very good series. Oh, uh, why are you trying to hurt me? <laughs> uh, Tekken is, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's it's the greatest fighting game ever. Whatever, it's not my position to say that. But it's a series that I really, really like. I really like mechanics of it because it's uh, I, I can't really say that it's grounded in reality because there are fucking devil's angels and uh, a father-son relationship that again as you said involves throwing each other down into volcanoes, so many volcanoes. and ogres and dinosaurs and mad scientists you see I've never been a Tekken guy I think I, the very first Playstation game I think I played was a Tekken game down yeah. in my cousin's house but I very kind of like I said, um, the only times I have ever gotten into proper fighting games, non-Smash fighting games, are um, the odd Mortal Kombat campaign, because mm. I think Mortal Kombat campaigns are so weird and camp and strange. That they are. That uh, it's kind of captivating to the yeah. single player. But it, like, it plays into my whole, I'm not really a multiplayer kind of guy, I never have been. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, like, I, I always played uh, Tekken, really, for the enjoyment of playing it just against a computer. And every yeah. now and again... Um, I'd get hashtag the lads around and we'd play some Tekken 5 and that didn't last very long because they got bored of losing to me. Was it like us trying to play a certain game we'll be talking about later? Yeah, you could say so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, this, it just... The thing about Tekken is, so the face buttons, um, we'll use the PlayStation in this instance, you've got triangle, square, circle, and X. And a triangle and square would be your... Um, right and left hands respectively and X and circle would be your uh, feet either side respectively mm-hmm. and you can have your shoulder buttons that you can combinate, uh, correlate to kind of whatever movements you want to do I'd usually use them for, for grapple moves yeah. now I figured going in or I was hoping that Pokken would be kind of similar but it's not really um, I, I can kind of see how that might be tricky because I guess there are certain Pokemon that don't I know maybe have two arms they might have like Machamp, for example, has uh, forearms, or you might have a Pokemon like um, the Chandelier Pokemon that I can't remember what it's called, which has like no legs but four kind of hands either side. So I can see how it would be tricky to 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 map Pokemon with this kind of setup. But 
even outside of that, just the general gameplay and the general kind of erratic nature where you don't really feel like... Chandelier. Chandelier, that's the one. Where you don't really feel like there's much control over what you're doing. You're just kind of hitting buttons and seeing what happens. That has always been my experience with the Smash series. Yeah, and I do understand to a certain extent there is that there. But, like, underneath that then, that's, to me, the beauty of Smash, that there actually is a level of precision to it as well. As that Now, it does take a while to break through that barrier. Mm. Because for a while, you do sometimes, especially against someone who is as inexperienced as you, you will get an equal rate of success just from fucking hitting buttons. But if you start playing people who are a bit more skilled, or if you start trying to think about your game a little bit more, you start to find the character that suits you the best, and you start to find, like... Like the incredibly precise things like with your shielding and with people that do edge guarding and stuff like that there there certainly is like a deeper layer to smash than some people give it credit for but yeah. I also for, will forgive anybody who like is getting kind of hung up on the surface layer because the surface layer it is hard to dig past at first for someone who doesn't play it very often the, the key similarities between the two is there's a, a, a kind of sense of chaos about them where mm. stuff like Tekken and Street Fighter um, and even you know more combat. There's a, a kind of general level of finesse about what you're trying to do that I've just never gotten from the, the Smash series, and that's just coming from my personal perspective. Some people out there might say I'm wrong, and that, that's grand. And Pokken feels it feel, falls more into that category. Um, mm. Now, some of the things it does uh, when you start a fight, it gives you um, different other Pokemon that are kind of support characters that do different things. Um, and it, it kind of lays out that they do different types of moves, but generally what happens is uh, your Pokemon gets up to a certain level. Kind of like, do you remember the X-Ray moves from uh, Mortal Kombat? I do. Yeah. You build up that meter, and then at the right time you can press both your uh, shoulder triggers, and um, you can kind of hit a, a, a powerful move that will take a, a large degree of your opponent's health and you can use those shoulder triggers as well to use support characters uh kind of like it that works fine the really weird thing is that the game that the the fighting screen goes um at random points from a 2d fighting plane to a it's not even a 2.5d it's kind of like it's almost like an over the shoulder type perspective and there's no real um there's no real understanding of why or how it does this but so you basically at points you go from just using left and right to go left and right to basically playing like a, a kind of over the shoulder third person mm. uh, action game almost okay uh, thing like Power Stone for the Dreamcast yeah in that kind of regards it, and it it I don't know it doesn't really flow um, is the best thing I could say and I don't understand the need for it um, if this was a game where you had more than two characters on the screen. You had, say, Pikachu, um, uh, Lucario, and a, a Charizard. You know, you had three opponents on the go at one time. I can understand the need for having that um, kind of open environment for combat, but that isn't an option. So I don't. It, it doesn't just doesn't fit the flow of what's going on. What about um, what's the what's on the tablet while you're doing all this? Uh, so I was actually only playing it on the tablet. Okay, I so you don't know when it's on the screen. No, I was. Although playing it on that the would screen. that would probably suggest to me that it is just a mirror. 
off the screen. Potentially, not always. I mean, if yeah. you, stuff like uh, the few times where I've really ever paid too much attention is like, for example, with uh, Wind Waker. Like, you can yeah. obviously swap to the screen on your tablet. The, but the, the reason I asked this, the reason I asked this, is just because with that over the shoulder thing you're saying that I was trying to think of how that would work when you're doing co-op or not co-op, sorry, couch multiplayer. Yeah, because obviously you couldn't get it over both shoulders at the same time on one screen. So, did they do split screen or will they? kind of make one person look at the tablet like they do on some games uh, I'm not sure uh, uh, we'll I, have to actually investigate that yeah um, it's I'm, something that if I enjoy the demo there's a good chance because I have like a stack of I'd say three maybe four games that I'm looking to trade in this week that I might take a punt on it if um, I, I could see it's like art while it prints us really I would imagine that either they will fix the camera at a certain perspective that make it even for both uh, uh, computer both players or they'll probably split the screen, but they'll do it in a way where it doesn't look obvious that this is and the, split screen. There was no obvious way in that demo for you to be able to fix the camera one way or the other. No, no, no. It, it kind of. It, yeah. I don't. I just. I still can't work out what triggers it because um, it's nothing that you can do. It's just at certain points when a certain amount of moves have been hit. Yeah, because you know, like I, my hope would be that maybe that if that is bothersome, that there's a thing like you know in FIFA where you can pause the game, go into your settings, and you can fix it to like a dynamic camera or a static camera and stuff yeah. like that. Um, doesn't look like it as I can see so far but yeah. I mean, this was only the demo yeah so we'll put a pin in for now we, we might end up with a, a full version uh, at some point to, to play through yeah. but uh, if not the demo is live mm-hmm. uh, is there any particular expiry date on the demos or are you just up there for people to try with uh, no... basically the, you, the demo is up and you get 10 uh, goes on it basically. oh it's like the 3DS demos yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay um, right, so is that all you've been playing this week then? Uh, that's pretty much it. Actually, I can't remember where I got up to, because I know I was talking about Broforce on our last uh, recorded session, but I can't remember if I, I think you were. It. I think you beat it within a couple of hours of finishing recording yeah. last time. I can't remember. You were you were right in around beating it when we recorded last time. I know so. I think I was talking about the, the aliens um, at that point in the... Yeah, well, you, yeah, you didn't... You, I don't think you named them as aliens, but you did say about how weird it got. Yeah. Um, so... After that, uh, yeah, I, I went through and I finished the game. And um, one of the, the things that really becomes prominent with the, the last third of that game is how slow that game becomes um, from a frame rate perspective. And uh, I read a story about this in Eurogamer about and, the performance issues. And I didn't know whether this was just my game or what, but basically Broforce was ported from the PC onto the PS4 um, using Unity which has become an engine which is um, known or noteworthy for not porting very well to the PS4. Particularly uh, lately. Yes. It, it wasn't so bad a while ago, but like the last few months I've read more and more stories about Unity is having a fucking mare on PS4. Yeah, and the there, there's a few games that have run into this issue, but there's also been instances people pointed out of other games that have run perfectly fine and actually with a lot of stuff going on the screen at any given time. Yeah. And like Broforce is a um, pixel art style 2D side shooter and like it's a game where there are times where there's not a lot going on and it runs fine, but it's also one of those games that has a kind of dynamic environment, a destructible environment. And basically everything on the screen can be blown up. And it gets pretty busy at points, certainly in the last portion of the game. Um, and the game basically goes from 60 FPS down into the 10s and 20s. And I'm not even talking for milliseconds. I'm talking for up to 5 to 10 seconds at a oh, time. Oh, dear. Uh, and what actually happened is that the final boss of the game, the entire boss fight, 
grind it down to anywhere between 10 to 30 uh, frames per second. Now, the negative I mean, one thing if it was 30 frames locked, that's fine. Yeah, but it's... But the fact that it's 30 exactly. and south and it's wavering. And now, the, there's pros and cons to that. The pro of that is that it meant that the fight was a hell of a lot easier because the because last... you're moving in slow motion. Because the last fight in that game, there's a hell of a lot going on. And the kind of grand scale of what's going on is, is very impressive. Um, but it also just... Yeah, it's not game-breaking um, in the sense that I can't cheat, but... It's just it's not the experience that I'm going to be having, yeah. um, and it becomes a, an, an absolute slog. Now they did put a, a patch up for it the other day, but I don't haven't checked it. Um, I don't know what what the elements of that patch is. I should probably I should have checked out before we started playing this. But yeah, it's a recurring theme I'm hearing about uh, certain ports coming over, and it's you know we had it with with uh, Firewatch the other week, which is a Unity port where. Uh, we was having kind of noticeable problems with that from a frame rate, uh, with frame rate issues. What was this again? Sorry, Firewatch. Firewatch. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, like, Road Force is a very enjoyable game, but the um, the kind of key, the, the the thing I keep hearing is that just play it on the PC if you can, because that is the uh, the the best performing version of that game. Fair so enough. that's pretty much pretty much it for me this week. Uh, I've been playing a lot this week. Um, and I'm going to try not to spend too much time on any one thing. About half of these things we do have uh, quick plays up of. Um, so I'd encourage people to check those out. Uh, we're still playing through Heavy Rain. Certainly are. Um, just a couple of notes I want to hit on that. Forgot just how unbelievably weird that game gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were you. We are now past the point at which you have seen in the yeah. game. Uh now, luckily, we both know how the game ends because someone decided to troll us in the uh, the chat and spoil it and got a banning for his trouble. Yeah. Well, I already knew it anyway. So. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I said. We both knew it's so no harm done there from our perspective. We blocked the message as well. So anybody that goes and checks that stream uh, won't have it spoiled on them because we didn't say that loud either. So go check that out. But uh, that is a weird game. Everybody's having a miserable time. Um, it is. It's sadness the video game. Um. <sighs> I'm starting to get a little taxed by a couple of the things it makes you do. Like, I understand the immersion thing of making you try and live through every action and stuff like that, but there are some times where I'm just like, look, a five-second cutscene where they're doing this would save me an awful lot of hassle. Uh, the one that breaks you is going up that hill, which I had no problem with. Uh, at a, there's a crime scene where you have to try and scale a hill by hitting a bunch of different... Uh, buttons uh, but that was fine by me the one that really annoyed me was I was in the middle of talking to somebody I had to take my wallet out mm. and I just kept missing the exactly what it was trying to get me to do and that was just like a 10 second delay that was just bothering me you know um, I'm still I'm still at the point where I want to go back and play it and I think we will keep revisiting it until both of us are sick of it at the same time <laughs> Um, so go look for another one of those playthroughs at some stage next week but parts 5 through 8 of that are up now on the YouTube channel where you can uh, check out us uh, where I think we're just taking the piss out of it at least for the back half anyway with your man's glasses from the future yeah it's just the the juxtaposition between this almost noir-esque hyper-realist kind of depression yeah like I, I can get myself into what David Cage is trying to do there, that's fine. But then your fucking man from the X-Files comes along. And <laughs> what the fuck? Like, He's got glasses from the future and a Nintendo Power Glove. 
None of it is explained. I don't. And think... My office is on Mars. I, oh yeah, like I don't know if any of that gets gets explained at any point into into the game, but he just comes flying in into this world that's been set. Which and first you had the complaint that as well you think he looks a bit too similar to Ethan, yeah. our first character. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. confused you and lost you for a couple of minutes. Well, uh, th- that's probably more me than anything else. But like his place in this game so far is so jarring compared to the world and the environment that's been set so far, which I will give. Mm. Like, the setting between Ethan and the detective, I can't remember his name. Um, the hell's his name? Shelby? Yeah. Yeah, Shelby, yeah. The, the, the environments that's set between those two are grounded in the same kind of reality, and I'm fine with that. And I'll tell you what, we were both having a whale of a time with that bit with Shelby in the apartment. That was actually pretty good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was really enjoying that. But bit of action but the other guy the, the detective it just it's so placed in um like something from fucking deus ex or something you yeah know? actually yeah would, wouldn't be it, it, it would be at home in a deus ex game yeah, yeah. and it's just really really jarring um mm. so we'll, like well I, i'm intrigued to kind of continue to see if it carries on being jarring and if they continue to not fucking explain any of the context around why he has these glasses mm. and the nintendo power glove but we'll see um, this week as well, I have started playing the full version of Hitman. Uh, we have a bit more of a thorough quick play of Hitman up on the YouTube channel now as well, uh, where we got through the full training simulation this time and had a little look around at the start of Paris missions. I've been playing through that Paris mission a bit. I still haven't beaten it because I've been kind of just exploring different things I can do, different opportunities that arise and stuff like that. Hitman is really good. Yeah. Mark, it's really, really, really good. If you like Hitman games, it is right up your street. It is kind of weird and silly in spots. That's great. It looks really good, I think, anyway. Um, performance issues, with the exception of one single chug in that opening cutscene, mm-hmm. seem to be gone for now. Touch, touch wood. Yeah. Um, so this seems to be a lot more finished product than that beta. Um, we had a good laugh doing those training missions, I think, uh, when we did a live stream of it there on Thursday. Um, yeah, I, I, it gets a recommendation from me anyway. Um, stay away from it, obviously, if you don't enjoy four stealth, because you can't go in loud in these missions. It's not like Metal Gear Solid Five where they give you the option to go in quiet or loud. You're going in quiet, and the only diverse diversity there is is between different stealthy options. Um, so stay away if you don't enjoy stealth. If you do enjoy stealth, if you have enjoyed Hitman games, and you're looking for... It is in some ways, and I said this on the stream, or at least I said it to you anyway, personally, is that I always see Hitman games as puzzle games almost. Yeah. Is that you know what it is you have to do, and you have to ch- investigate thoroughly all the moving parts in the area to see how you can put kind of the dominoes in a row to knock them and kill your target. Um, it's a very intriguing game. Um, I'll see where Paris leaves me and see if I have my wet, my appetite whetted for I believe Marrakesh is next or something like that. I can't remember. There's a new mission pack coming next month. Um, but yeah, so far all signs point to thumbs up on Hitman, and uh, a lot of reviewers are giving it uh, good praise as well so far, which is surprising to me because with the episodic content, I thought a lot of reviewers are already going to have a bit of a sour taste in their mouth about that idea, which is fair enough as well. Like. Um, yeah, the question I have for you, and indeed. might not be able to answer this because you haven't uh, finished the, the the level, the Paris level yet, is uh, does does it feel like it gives you? Obviously, there are different ways to uh, finish the level, 
but are does it feel like there are um, very direct ways, very kind of not well, I guess maybe like quick ways to finish, or all of the levels involve um, some kind of long-winded way around getting to your target to kill them? There are shorter ways. And there are longer ways and some of the opportunities you get, they're called opportunities in it, where you can overhear someone talking about something Mm -hmm. that might give you an idea for a challenge, for a way to kill one or other of the people involved because there's two targets. This is the other thing that makes this level difficult is that there's two targets. So by killing one, you can't alert people because then the other target is going to be too well guarded for you to get to. Um... I can see where there are relatively direct ways to go to at least the first target, but... There is more of an incentive in terms of unlockables and things like that for you to go the long way this around. This was my next question. And to do more elaborate things. So there was... The first time I played it with you, I got very close to killing the woman. Mm-hmm. But I blew it at the last minute. I made a, I made a stupid fucking mistake. We still right? killed her, but we have several yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, and that was a fairly direct way. That took about five minutes, I'd say, to get to her. Whereas the way I did it... The most most recently, before I blew it again, took about 15 minutes worth of setup nearly. But it was very engrossing. Like, it wasn't 15 minutes where I'm like, oh, fucking come on, come on, come on. It was actually very engrossing and very tense as I was kind of walking around, like, constantly keeping sketch to make sure someone who couldn't rumble my disguise was anywhere near me. Um, trying to work, because, the, like, the, the mansion, the property it's set in this very first level is very labyrinthine. Like, it's very, there's staircases leading all sorts of different places. There's no obvious way to get to the people you're looking for. Like, there is the way, like, in, in our playthrough, I just went straight up the fucking storm drain on one of them. Yeah. And that is a very direct way to go about getting to the first lady. Um, In terms of, like, finishing the whole level, can't fully comment yet because I haven't successfully done it yet. But, again, there are, seem to be, like, like it was trying to teach you in the training mission, there are multiple ways to skin a cat. And the more challenges you complete, the more unlockables you can get, which can make future missions easy because there's a part of the mission where you're planning the mission and you pick what weapons you're going in with. And where, like, for example, I think there's three possible ways you can enter that property um, on like where your spawn point is. And there's like a, there's a car park, to the, there's a technical area to the left, a car park to the right, and then your main atrium to go into the building. Um, so there are like, there's, a, there's an awful lot to it. And what that, gives me the sense of as well is that there's going to be a lot of incentive to replay missions to unlock all the kind of things yeah well i think just because of the way they've split this game up with the episode episode content uh they have to make these levels as replayable as possible mm, and i think that to it, get the money's I, worth i, out I, I think certainly they have um done all they can yeah. in that regard and uh I look forward to, like, I'm very tempted this evening when I get back, I have to pop off uh, over to walk a dog uh, once we finish recording this, but I'd be Thank half tempted. breaking I, the fourth wall there. I know, yeah. <laughs> I'd be half tempted uh, once I get back to throw down the PS4 while you're playing some Pokemon here and we can have a laugh as I'm trying to go around and uh, hide in between all these wealthy people while I murder some terrorists. You know what, I might even put the Pokemon down and just watch it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it is kind of engrossing to play yeah. and I imagine even to watch as well because I watched... Uh, our friend uh, Barry, the the Barry lad. Barry uh, lad. I watched his. He he has um, he has good YouTube streams, and we actually should pimp his YouTube channel someday. Oh. Um, I can never remember the address of it uh, off by heart, but he has a good YouTube channel, and he did uh, some streams of Hitman that are like I just sat there and watched them for minutes, like without even kind of I was gonna go in comment and stuff like that, 
uh, just to engage with him but I just found myself just sitting there just kind of like on the edge of my seat going oh he's going to get spotted he's going to get spotted he's going to get spotted I am surprised like I thought I was going to like it liking some of the old Hitman games I thought there was going to be a part of me that part of me that would like it mm. I didn't think I would like it this much I'm very very pleasantly surprised and by the sounds of it from a couple of people who have looked at I, I, I want to say it's Marrakesh is next if I'm wrong I'm sorry about that but there, whatever the second mission pack is anyway there are people who have had a hands on with some of it and said it just gets better which is very very tantalising of a prospect to me and I'm very thankful that having had a good experience performance issues aside with the beta and then having read the reviews saying that the performance issues seem to be sorted I'm very glad I plonked down my money and now we'll be getting these bits of content because I bought the whole thing rather than just get it you can just buy the Paris mission pack for I think fourteen ninety nine yeah, euro yeah. on the store which if you're still unsure that's the way I'd recommend to go give that a go if you're not going to like that you're not going to like the rest of it because it's ostensibly going to be the same kind of thing in different environments with different opportunities um, if you're someone who likes Hitman games though don't uh, feel like it's too much of a risk to plonk down the money because it's very familiar but also very new and very dynamic at the same time and it is at the end of the day a Hitman game here's a question for you it, can you buy the Paris level decide that you like it and then get the season pass and get the money to I don't think you get the season pass at a discounted rate that mm. kind of accounts for you paying for it so that ends up you paying a little bit extra for the whole season pass. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's not the case. Because I'd like to think that would be something that publishers would at least have looked well, into. What I would like to think they would do, and I don't know if I said this on here yet or not, or maybe I said it on the, the Hitman stream. It's hard when we talk into microphones so much to yeah. think where I might have said something. <laughs> but what I would like to think they would do is before the new chapter comes out, they will make the previous chapter cheap for a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like say it's 15 euro now for the Paris missions when the Marrakesh missions are about to come out to whet everybody's appetite who hasn't already played it they might say right we'll drop the price of the season pass by a fiver and we'll drop the we'll drop the Paris missions from 15 euro to 8 euro yeah. for PS Plus subscribers kind of like uh... there's no real harm done because obviously the, mo the you make the most on your game in the first month or so yeah, was it Fallout that dropped the prices or something dropped the prices? Fallout accidentally made it season pass free this week. Well, it, did do, <laughs> it did do that. But no, there was a game recently that... Uh, well, Fallout did the thing where if you pre-order on Xbox, they gave you Fallout 3. No, and there, was, there was something else I'm thinking of where they, they made the DLC. Uh, Telltale did it with Minecraft, the Minecraft story Maybe mode. it was that. They made the... Was it they made the first episode available on PS Plus for free? A couple oh. months after, in fact. It's not coming to me. It could have been. It's something yeah. like that. Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. I remember yeah. something like that happening before. Uh, Division, I'm going to mention very, very quickly because Brian's not here and he by far has the most. Brian's already hit the level cap on the single player game. Yeah, Brian's put at least a good 40 hours into that game. I would say more yeah. um, at this point. Uh, so we leave the full review till he comes back. Needless to say, from what I have played so far, which is about two hours of it, very much glad I put down the money on it. Very much vindicated already. It's engrossing. The only reason I haven't played more of it is because up until three days ago, I was working fairly flat out. <laughs> and I'm just looking for a day where I have nothing on and I'm going to plunge about six hours into it without moving yeah. and then really set myself up. Because that's kind of what you have to do with these RPGs is that you have to block off an evening to get through all the tutorial stuff. Like I remember there was with The Witcher, when I got The Witcher, it was over a month before I really got into that game. But when I got when I got in, Mark, oh you, my god, you was down the line. All you had to do with that was like complete the first contract, and then you were you were sold, you were gone, you were in. Yeah. Um. 
and you'll see how like deep that world is like uh, the division i don't think is that deep because i have never in my life played a game as deep as the witcher 3 from what that i've seen got the division, into me i don't think the division has that level it's no Ubisoft but it does own. seeming like it, brian has not played the online multiplayer at all the the dark zone stuff really he's dipped in for a couple of minutes here and there mm-hmm. and he has still managed to find 30 hours worth of single player stuff which is a lot more than a lot of people would have thought we would get out now he is mr side missions i was gonna say he's probably and he has not beaten the main game yet yeah he has not done... He will do all the side missions before he beats it, which is why two and a half years later, they're thereabouts. Well, a year and a half to two years later, he still hasn't beaten Shadows of Mordor, which is a 20-hour game if you mainline the... Like, actually, it's less than 20 hours if you're just doing the... If you're just doing the bare essentials. Yeah. But, like, I... Like, I platinum that game, but Brian is just, like, he wants to make sure everything... All his ducks were in a row, and then he got distracted by some tinfoil or something and never came back to it. Um, moving on anyway we'll we'll come back to the division and Brian will give you from the kind of RPG element stuff mm-hmm. yeah. there's no point in me sitting here talking about exotic weapons I haven't got a fucking breeze when I'm talking about so we'll move on uh, two more games I want to talk about Yokai Watch Yokai Watch Yokai oh, the... Watch is the alleged Pokemon killer well not the alleged Pokemon killer but Wait, did you play the demo of... for this? I did play the demo for this huh okay yeah. so I've gone and played the demo for this um, this is the game that has taken off like wildfire it is considered the new the heir to Pokemon's throne in, ja- in Japan in as much as there are certain elements to it that are very, very similar, and it has taken off in the same kind of infectious way in Japan. Uh, yokai, from what I understand, is like it's Japanese folklore, ghost folklore, mm-hmm. is, is what it's based on. And the game is relatively similar from what I can tell to Pokemon. You're someone from a small town, somewhere in unspecified area in Japan or whatever, and your whole thing is you have a buddy who is a yokai whose name I can't remember. And you have a yokai watch, which is a watch that helps you see these yokai and helps you detect them. Um, and you go around basically catching these things because they're causing nuisances. They're causing a nuisance around the town and stuff like that. And you go catch them much in the same way you go out and get Pokemon. Now, I don't know if there's an equivalent of a gym system or anything like that because again, I only played this for about forty minutes. We were sitting here yesterday watching Daredevil. I was dicking around with it. Oh really? Yeah, I was that's what I was doing. That. I was just kind of lost in it. I had a headphone in trying to see what the music is like. Um, what I have to say about this so far. For those of you who are looking for the Pokemon killer, and I don't mean that in the way that you want Pokemon to die, like say some people are looking for the Call of Duty killer, they're looking well, for the thing that will kill Call of Duty off. Pokemon just sold, recently announced they sold 200 million units worldwide. Yeah, so. exactly. But you no, know, yeah. what I mean is the thing that takes the idea of Pokemon and actually does something different with it, because like much as we love Pokemon, especially Mark, um, Pokemon can have the criticism leveled at it that each game is broadly the same. Which is a fair criticism yeah Yeah. right now i don't mind that you don't mind that but some people might say that so there there is a certain subset of people who are looking for a game that has the broad mechanics of a pokemon game but does something new with it and in some respects it does because the mechanics are slightly different the battle mechanics are more i would say as a kind of 20 year nearly pokemon player um more convoluted battle system um in to sum it up in a sentence without going into it too much for those of you who don't do it firstly i would say if you have a 3ds uh the 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 trial is there and you have i think 30 plays of it Mm -hmm. uh to do so i would recommend anybody who's interested by what i'm saying here 
just go and try it for yourself because it's not going to be for everyone and what i think i'm going to my evaluation at the end is that i don't know if it's for me yet well i want to know so you go around and you you catch these ghosts right yeah so well you go around yeah sorry you go around and what you do is each of your ghosts has like a, a each of your yokai has an ability with them that helps you in battles um, sort of in a similar way to, you know, Persona. Yeah. Sort of in a way that you have your Persona abilities. Yeah, but what It's not I... like you have your four moves. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. you just, you know, I, you know, scary ghost number three, I choose you yeah. kind of thing. What I want to know is, who are you battling against? Your other ghosts, right? So, at least in the early 40 minutes, right? So, you, you're thrown into this world. There's very little of what I don't... What I didn't really like at first is that I felt I was being thrown in... To somewhere where I was immediately expected to care about the world and the lore without the world and the lore really being explained to me. It is a demo. Right? But no, the thing is, like, the very first thing you do when you pick up Pokemon is you have Professor Oak and his spiel explaining to you that, you know, this world is inhabited by creatures called Pokemon. Which is very simp- a very simplified way to put things, but at least it sets a frame. Yeah, it was also 20 years ago. Right, but no, this... But you, you know what I'm trying to like, This is a new franchise. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. exactly what it needs to do. And I don't... Like, whatever, I know you, you say it's a demo and that's fine. But, like, personally, I don't care that it's just a demo. Because the demo is supposed to be what people on the fence are going to use to persuade them to buy it. So you, you should really be trying like hell to persuade people why this world is interesting. It should be the very first thing they're doing. Now... I would imagine Japan maybe not because yokai is a thing there. Well, I was going to say I'd imagine that the key thing people look for in the demo is um, the gameplay mechanics because that's the key thing that they're going to be. And in some but the thing is, it's not a real. They haven't reinvented the wheel or decided some new dynamic way of playing these kind of turn-based strategy games or these kind of um, these RPG elements that are in Pokemon games. They haven't reinvented the wheel. They're doing it slightly different. It's somewhere... The combat system is somewhere, from what I can tell, from the limited amount I've done, is somewhere halfway between Persona and Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, without being as good as either. So far, <laughs> because I love Pokemon, as you know. I also have a particular soft spot for the five or six hours so far... Of what I'm told is over a hundred hours you can play a Persona Four Golden on the Vita. Nope. Um, that is a Greg Miller recommends that I picked up because of him, and uh, I kind of stopped at the point where I was like, right, I either need to stop now or say goodbye to my friends and family for months. Right. But um, what I'm here to say is that I don't think it's for me. Mm-hmm. Now the game isn't out, I think, until the end of April. And I did have a pre-order in out of pure curiosity with Amazon. I'm going to play it a little more. I'm going to come back next week before we go to America. And I'm going to give my final judgment on the demo. Is it? And this is but very, very... for now, my, my cursor is hovering over the cancel pre-order. I'm going to say this in a very, very broad terms as a question. Is it very, very Japanese? No, it's not overtly Japanese. Is it like, like it's not is super? It, is it Naruto Japanese? You know, because no, that no, has well, because no. that, that has an Americanized yeah, almost yeah. Feel to it. Do you know what it is? It's kind of like it's the animation of the modern Pokemon games, like X and Y. Yeah. In that kind of, it moves that way. You move around the town like that. It's kind yeah. of, it's not two D. It's not three D. No, just the general of. vibe but of it. The vibe of it. What I would say is, 
um, is somewhere like Pokemon X and Y. But also, and this might be a curious thing to throw in here, but in terms of that it's not quite Japanese, not quite American culture, what I would say is there are some... The weird kind of um, gimmicky elements to it and the weirdness, the kind of how everything isn't all as it seems quirkiness to it is kind of reminiscent, but again, not as good as Earthbound. Right. In as much as it's somewhere that's not quite American, not quite Japan, and there's just... It's kind of like... What I'll say for it is it's certainly... It certainly makes no apologies for what it is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's no kind of where you can tell they're showing you this through gritted teeth. Like, the first thing you're doing is you're trying to find these three ghosts around town, these three yokai. And you come across one who is... Its special attribute is spreading negative vibes. Because you find a guy who's very depressed in this alleyway and you have to use your scanner. You use the uh, the touch screen to scan around this little area that you've walked into to find where the thing is and then you fight it and it's got its negative energy and stuff like that. So it definitely is kind of like... It's got its own vision of what it wants to do but I'm not massively sold on whether it's something I want to come along for the ride with. Um, I think maybe if I was the age I was when I started playing Pokemon... I think I'd be way more excited about it. I do think it's tuned a lot more towards kids than Pokemon games nowadays are. Because mm. I think Pokemon games now, particularly XY, uh, Ruby Sapphire, things like that, the, long, the more Pokemon games went on, the more they realised that there was a significant adult or at least adolescent audience going in there. So they to- the kid stuff is still there, but it's toned down a little. To be fair, the the last couple of games have had a very uh, apocalyptic storyline. <laughs> apocalyptic storyline, but like the way the characters interact with each other is still very kid friendly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the level of technical precision that goes into that game, and again, some of the subject matter gets very dark and stuff like that, does appeal towards the adults. Whereas I think Yokai Watch is very much targeted at under 18s okay. that would be my uh, my estimation the final thing I want to talk about moving off Yokai Watch for a while is uh, the as I said in the stream that we did of it uh, the curiously named UFC 2 oh yeah yeah. so UFC 2 dropped this week on uh, dropped oh, Thursday morning on PS4 Xbox One and I'm assuming last gen consoles as well Um. I have been an intermittent fan of UFC games. I have been a fan of UFC now since, I would say, God, about 2006, 2007, there, thereabouts. Um, so I've always wanted to... It's one of those things like when you're a rugby fan. Because uh, like, I, I was a rugby fan for years. Um, international rugby. I've never really had the time to watch another sport as obsessively as I do soccer. So I kind of dip in and out of international rugby, but I always would str- hope that for the day when the perfect rugby game came along. And I felt the same about UFC. So those I dipped in and out of those undisputed games. I had one, maybe two of them. I definitely had one. I may have like either owned another one or played another one. I bought last year's UFC game, the first EA Sports one, and I found mechanically it was solid uh, without being too dissimilar. Like it was, The controls were almost identical to the THQ ones. Uh, so it helped people who were transitioning into the EA Sports model. Now, this is their second bite at it. And last year, like I said, whereas it was mechanically sound, I felt it was a bit hollow. Right? Mm-hmm. I didn't feel there was enough to the variety of game modes. I didn't feel there was enough to the career mode. I didn't feel that 
just playing random fights against the computer was very exciting after the first three fights. Um, I found it quite boring unless you were playing against another human, like sitting beside you. I didn't even really like playing online that much. Yeah. But I never usually do. Conversely, I think UFC 2 is certainly, it's not perfect yet, uh, I don't think. Um, at least from what I've heard from other people anyway. Um, but it's getting there. I've had a lot of fun with it. I think they have taken the, the physicality and the sound uh, technical aspects of it and they've ramped it up even more. I think the game looks fantastic for a start. I think, like we said on a stream, there is a, I was playing it for about an hour up on the YouTube channel. Um, your your swings, your, your, your punches, your kicks, everything you do has a weight to it. It feels very like, weighty. It yeah. genuinely, and not in a way that you feel like you're moving through treacle, but in a way that like you honestly do feel like when you're like capoeira kicking someone in the jaw, that you are kicking them in the jaw. Yeah. When you're landing a roundhouse, it feels satisfying. There's a thunk and a vibrate. There's, like, it just it feels like you're making damage. The... The damage that is visible on your opponent as you are hitting them is excellent. Like the fact that it, like it's very gradual. You see welts raising up on their body, or you see them get like a, a cut under their eye or something like that. I think that's brilliantly done. Um, I think uh, in something you pointed out when we were playing this, I think the commentary is very responsive to what's going on in the ring in a way, or in the octagon in a way that professional wrestling games have not been. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah like if you uh, there was a number of times where one of us would uh, hit like a really satisfying roundhouse kick to the side and of the literally face. as soon as and, that strike lands and you can Joe hear Rogan. Joe Rogan's like oh and it's yeah, yeah it feels responsive to what is actually going yeah. on uh, in terms of game modes there is much more diversity to it there's a live event system where you can start picking who are going to win this weekend's fights if there's a pay-per-view coming up so we dicked around that for, for a bit with a bit for the, the Hunt Mirror fight where we tried to predict who was going to win and then you get an added bonus if not only you guess right, but also you try to play through the fight and finish it exactly when you when you say you're going to finish it. So I uh, pretended, I said, right, okay, Frank Mir's going to win in the second round by TKO. And so then I said, right, okay, try do that. And I tried to, I failed. Um, but like that, I think that's interesting. Like there's FIFA have the match of the week thing where they try to get you to fulfill a certain list of challenges from a match that happened that week. Um, so like I, I like that I think it keeps it it makes the game feel like it's fresh and it's up to date and like you said uh, I think it keeps the onus on EA to keep refreshing statistics and things like that to keep things up and about it stops you from feeling like the game gets stale after a couple of months when everybody in the world is injured um, I think the roster depth is incredible yep. um, in terms of the amount of weight classes you have going all the way up from the women's straw weight I think to the heavyweight men's division there's an incredible amount of uh, divisions. There's an incredible amount of fighters, both past and present, in there. Um, so, like, and you have people who cross weight classes a lot. So, like, Conor McGregor is across, I think, three weight classes in it. Uh, CM Punk is across, I think, two weight. I think he's across welterweight and middleweight. So, there are people who you can do that with. Now, you can't do, because you were asking about this, you can't, it doesn't seem like you can do catch weight unless. I've missed somewhere that it you can doesn't do it. Look like it. No. Doesn't look like it for now. Um, I haven't. I, I will confess, I haven't looked very much into the career mode. Um, but from what I hear, it's not massively different from last year's one, but it's a bit more in depth. 
Um, so I'm looking forward to getting into that, but I, I kind of feel like I need to go through the tutorials a bit more and get my game, my ground game down, because as you can see, if you watch our stream, my ground game and your ground game. Well, these are the two things I have to uh, comment on. First of all, yeah. the, the Muay, Muay Thai into knees that you got particularly fond of, as far yeah. as I can see, is... That's the, I figured that out is, towards the end of our stream. Is OP to fuck. Um, because... Mm. As soon as you got me in, as quickly as I was trying to get out of it, you would still hit me with at least two knees, and nine yeah. times out of ten, that would knock me to the floor. Yeah. And there's no kind of quick way out of that. Yeah. So as far as I can see, that is um, that is way too overpowered. Yeah, well, what I will say about that is, I think part of that comes from, firstly, we haven't figured out how to block takedown attempts or clinch attempts. Uh, secondly, I would say that comes from, also, neither of us really know how to transition through the clinch. Like, there is a way, because I accidentally did it when you clinched me once, I very quickly transitioned to um, me being in control of the clinch. Mm. Very, very quickly, before you even got a chance to land anything. So I'd say, not to invalidate your criticism by any stretch of the imagination, I think that does come down to at least about 50-50, yeah, that it's our inexperience. The other thing, the more key thing, is that the... the grapple system in this game mm. um, it feels more like a puzzle mechanic than it does a fighting mechanic okay. and now this is something that the um, the WWE games have had for the last couple of years now that have basically not made me want to play them because in the, the, the WWE games that mechanic grinds the match to a halt and considering yeah. that um, the you know it's a, a fake sport it's um um, an entertaining fake athletic contest however you want to describe it grinding that to a halt completely negates the enjoyment that can be had from what that is basically yeah. uh, in the UFC games that I can see fitting more in into that environment um, because you know there are many times where you'll have a, a fight that does go onto the ground and it does become um almost like this puzzle to solve of like how do I get this guy into this position yeah. to get his arm whatever and like I can appreciate it at the same time it's still it still doesn't flow very well for me it's still mm. just like the, the icons come up okay I'm just gonna whack left okay I'm just gonna whack right now and it um, I certainly feel that there is more fun had with the game just from a uh, standing up and kind of slugging it out type perspective. Yeah. Um, now that could just be my I, I basic think, understanding of yeah. UFC and my basic appreciation of what this game is because I'm sure uh, there is a, a deeper level to the mechanics and there are people yeah. that can get onto the ground and probably prefer on the ground because yeah. they know how to I certainly on the Undisputed games used to prefer being on the ground. Because it's been so uh, long since I played the undisputed games. But in career mode, because you start off so bad, you're going to get knocked out really quick standing up, which is yeah. why I haven't started career mode yet. But I think what we should do is we put pin in it for now. We'll come back. Uh, maybe we'll sit down and do the tutorials ourselves yeah. and figure it out. Like the one thing I'm particularly afraid of is the um, the submissions. Because mm. I have no idea how to counter submissions at all yet. Yeah. Um, because I got was kind of too excited by the idea of like kicking the shit out of people and just skipped past how to learn those, and that was my fault. So uh, that's that. Uh, let's move to the news. The news. News on the mark. <laughs> So, uh, fucking 
hell froze over this week, Mark. Yeah, it did. Uh, Xbox announced that they are going to allow cross-network online play, starting with our old favourite, Rocket League. Uh, For those of you at home who don't understand what that means, cross-network online play basically means not only are Xbox going to allow you play online against PC players, but also, feasibly, PS4 players in the first case of this we've seen and they're promising that they're going to start opening things up to a lot of multi-platform games being able to do that going forward mm-hmm. um this is kind of fucking incredible to me mm-hmm. because one of the things last generation that was a big thing for xbox in particular loads of people were on xbox and why was that because everyone was playing call of duty online on xbox um call of duty's big kind of and why they probably got such a good deal off sony to kind of pair with them for the ps4 is because you know if they could migrate call of duty's online fan base because the whole thing is like you know for a lot of people who don't cover video games or look at video games in the same level of detail we do what console they buy is often dictated by what console their friends are going to buy because they don't want to be left out they want to play with their friends to me now we are pretty much down to just console exclusive games as the differences between um each console if this idea is fully realized i'm going to shift over to you mark your your thoughts on this cross-network collaboration here or initiative. Now, I will say as well that uh, Sony have issued a statement in response to this saying that it's actually not as easy as the Xbox making it sound. Well, yeah. Um, but, anyway. This, at least in theory. From the, the on the surface, this looks like, um, and now this is going to sound like a little bit of a Sony fanboy type statement of me to make, but it's meant with, with um, clear intentions, not swayed by other side, that this is a desperate attempt by microsoft to stay relevant at this point yeah that that was my thought it's like hey guys don't sell your xbox yet you can still play with ps4 people because even for example we was having a conversation with amo a couple of weeks ago where he was uh toying with the idea of buying a ps4 to play rocket league and it's mm-hmm. like hey doesn't need to now because he can play it on his xbox one against us yeah on the multi-platform now yeah now i'm no expert in this field but I would say that the uh, the configuration, the mechanics in this idea of multi-platform, however similar the Xbox One and the PS4 under the bonnets are, they're still completely different systems. Still completely different servers. Exactly. Yeah. So I can't imagine this is as easy as some It seems like there's going to be a lot of work have to be put in, not only by Microsoft and Sony, but also by the developers for well, the games. The key thing comes down to is how on board Sony are by this. Um, and then it comes down to the developers going forward. Yeah. Because I definitely I think... Suppose, I suppose like PS4 have real, no real incentive to bite. No. Like, I suppose, apart from the fact that it would be seen to play into their For the Players ethos. Yeah. Um, but at this point, kind of, they're so far ahead. Why do they feel the need to give the Xbox a hand? Yeah, exactly. Especially when like the Xbox are trying to unify platform with the PC at the moment. Why give them an extra news cycle of you know? Oh, here's another benefit. For the yeah, Xbox there there are very very few benefits I can see to Sony at this point, unless both platforms were struggling for relevancy and and market space and whatever. Then I can see Sony being on board, but. 
really, from where I'm standing, I don't see what their need to do it is. My, and it links into our next story a little bit. Um, one of my ideas might be that there might be some concern from both Sony and Microsoft about the long-term viability of console gaming. Yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, they've been going on about that since 2005, Yeah, but if, if they see this as a way towards, like, the idea of ending the war and kind of making everyone be able to play regardless of what console you have. This is a pretty have. one-sided war at the moment. Well, yeah. yeah. But, you know what I mean? Like, if, if they see this as a way to kind of... Um, like remove one of the thing, one of the criticisms uh, the glorious PC gaming master race may have of the idea of console gaming, um, then maybe that is a blow struck for the longevity of consoles. I don't know. Oh. Me just trying to play devil's advocate. And, um, I mean, I can't see this changing anything. Like, um, I I would find it hard to believe that, uh, say, Destiny at this point would anytime soon become cross-platform. Maybe the next Destiny game, sure. But pretty much anything that's come beforehand, um, I doubt we'd see anything change now. Maybe something like, um, if it had come along at this point, something like Trials, where just a simple case of, okay, I can now see the, the ghosts of uh, people that are playing the Xbox One version of Trials. Um, I can see their ghost basically i can see their times i have them on my leaderboards whether mm. it's it, it just it's all one big leaderboard of all the quickest times or i have a separate leaderboard for xbox one players so i can see um who's fastest on there that i imagine would be a slightly easier thing to configure in because it's no kind of real-time activity yeah real-time actual activity that is a completely different story um i don't know whether we'd get one developer who would just want to take a punt at it to see if they can do it but yeah, a lot of this comes down to developers if they want to do it and if they have the resources, the manpower, and the uh, the desire. The desire. Well, I imagine there are. Do you think Activision wouldn't want to have? But they lose the nice bit of lucrative thing they get to have an exclusive advertising deal at one console or the other. Yeah, the whole reason their whole bargaining chip is that they can bring a base of multiplayer users to one console I imagine they will find another way to incentivize players look I was just saying Uh, anyway we'll see how that one pans out in the long run once uh, the Rocket League cross network stuff is up and running Um, there's a disturbing trend starting and we talked about it last week with the idea of a mid-cycle console iteration from Xbox's point of view it looks like now according to to, uh, leaks unearthed by Kotaku's Patrick Klepek um that PlayStation are working on a PS4.5. So it is a PS4 console that is theoretically going to be priced at the original price of the PS4 console at $400. Uh, The difference is slightly better graphics capacity. Um, The ability to play 4K resolution. And um, presumably, uh, related to a story we'll talk about later, that it would be a quote-unquote VR-ready PlayStation. Uh, your thoughts on the idea of a mid mid cycle iteration? Like I'm sort of um, because like sometimes consoles just break. I like sometimes being able to have like a slim version uh, of a console, but um, the idea of the idea of something like what worries me about something like this is that we end up with something like the new 3ds, but more kind of extortionate in as much as there are going to be 
the idea that there might be games that come out that only work on the PS4.5 and not the PS4 or the Xbox 1.5 and not the Xbox One that that is the disturbing precedent I'm hoping doesn't get set yeah like the 3DS we're fine at the moment because I think it's Xenoblade Chronicles and I think one other game are the only ones that work on new 3DS only this this sounds more um, I, I would put it to uh, the mid 90s uh, Sega 32X slash well that Sega is in the giant bomb version of the story that is the cover art oh, the story it? is oh, the 32X yeah um, and what happened there not a lot not a lot no the consumer base got kind Rest of peaceful angles by the way yeah uh, the the consumer base for Sega got burnt out pretty quickly and within a few years when we got to that's the Saturn Christ, though <laughs> yeah um, not that I would imagine that would be a, a thing that would happen with either Sony or Microsoft but like I can't see where the, the financial incentive in this is um, now a lot of this I, I'm sure will come down to we've had the announcements over um, Sony's uh, Morpheus projects and, and whatever else and if kind of the pre-orders come in and they can see that the demand is there for it then I can see there being a good reason to go forward mm. with this Sony uh, PS4 4. PS4.5 yeah. but I just I can't I don't see a, a, a percentage of the uh, consumer base of consumers of the, the PS4 buying a new PS4 hopefully not anyway from the consumer perspective I just um, I it's a real vote with your wallet sort of thing if it's not uh... and even even like um players that want this for you know they want 4k for example mm. how many people have a 4k tv not a lot no like you know people technology is speeding forward and like i so i was working uh for a, a supermarket last year and part of my thing was around um getting spec information for 4k tvs and Basically, there was like just one 4K TV that was going into however many stores, and they were basically they were trying to push this as like the next thing. But at the same time, the buyers and whatever were realistic that this is like five years away still, yeah. you know. Um, and there's even fucking like 8K TVs as well, and it's just it's just ridiculous. Like the high well, end, so you know the the Moore's law thing: technology either gets twice the speed, half the price, or half the size every eighteen months. Yeah, and it's like the the one percent of people that can A, afford this shit, or B, be interested by this shit, great, awesome for them. But that is not a, a, a financial gain for Sony that I can see, or Microsoft. Um, moving on slightly, still sticking with PlayStation news. Uh, PlayStation VR. It's finally here. Well, it's finally on the way. Slated for October. Coming out at a price of, for the basic bundle, 399 US dollars, 399 euro. Or three forty nine pounds sterling. Um, that is the very basic bundle that comes with the headset, the wires, and what is a separate box that comes. It connects to, but comes outside the PS four box. It looks like a tiny little PS four that sits beside your PS four, and that's basically for the processing power needed to uh, kind of project virtual reality into the headset. Um, this is a bundle, the 399 bundle, that does not include a controller, uh, like a DualShock 4, or a Move controller, or a game. This is just a very basic set. It's 399 uh, There is also 
a this is also by the way in contrast to Oculus Rift is priced at five ninety nine dollars so it is a better better range if you are looking for a, a VR headset although I suppose if you don't already have a PS4 already that means you're already up to eight hundred dollars um which actually is the price of HTC and Valve's one <laughs> is eight hundred dollars um there's also a bundle for I think I believe about five hundred there thereabouts that includes the get the the kind of the the Wii Sports of PSVR, the kind of like that has a load of mini games to it for VR and includes two move controllers in it. Um, thoughts on PSVR? Um, again, I think I've gone on record consistently as saying that I'm not biting. Um, I've yet to ha I've yet to try an Oculus Rift. I've yet to try a PSVR, but. I can't unless I think we said privately unless the killer app it needs something that persuades me that this is where games are going that it is an, a vastly superior way to play video games but personally I don't see myself being persuaded of anything other than oh this is pretty cool but it's not worth $400 to me personally your thoughts VR is an overpriced gimmick for wankers <laughs> Mark, get off the fence. Tell us how you really feel, will you? Um, I, I just I look. Have no I interest in VR. I don't know if long term it's going to be quite the the vacuous gimmickry that three D cinema is. Uh, where three D cinema, if you look at kind of why that's come back, my personal slant on it, and a lot of other people's personal slant is that three D cinema is being forced down our throats because why? It's harder to illegally pirate three D movies from the cinema. Because if you try to set up a camcorder in a cinema and pirate a movie, you know, 3D cinema comes out too blurry. It, it doesn't really work. Piracy really a, a big thing with the new generation of consoles and games? No, no, no. I'm saying but this is with movies. Oh, this right, is right. why they're forcing okay. that. That's why I'm saying it's a bit sinister. I don't know if PSVR and VR headsets are being forced down because it is the future or because... No, it's because money it's money. self-indulgent wankery. Some... <laughs> Look... I have heard from there are multiple people whose opinions I generally trust who are saying that this it's not there yet and someone has to go first but there is potential there for this to be how games are played maybe 10 years down the line maybe 15 years down who knows you know what's a good predictor of the future I know you and I are still very much rooted in the old school TV controller in hand like what's wrong with i don't that? want to be that like, guy I, you know we're the guys who generally speaking can't even go keyboard and mouse when we play games i, I don't want to be the guy that's banging on about how there's this wacky new thing called television and it'll never catch on yeah like, it's all about the radio i don't want to be that guy but you know we are we are of that generation where we have the experience of what video games were what they yeah. are now and what they will be mm-hmm and I'm not being fucking Nostradamus here, you know, but I'm making the bold prediction that VR, VR is Nostradamus, yeah. No, uh, Mark Stradamus. Mark Stradamus, yeah. Mm. Um, that VR is going to be this just, it's a niche idea in the same way that the fucking Virtual Boy and in the same way that... Ah, uh, oh, Jesus. I'm trying to think of something else that was a niche. Like the... the um, Philips I'm CDI. using motion controls. Like the Philips CDI, all that kind of... You see, F F yeah, for every, like, but then every so often one of these catches on. Like I said, the Wii, 
The Wii is ostensibly, and the reason I didn't buy a Wii is because when the Wii came out, I was like, it's just a gimmick for wankers. Yes, but do you know what the Wii also was? What? Cheap. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And who knows? And do you know what the Wii was? <laughs> what? Accessible for everyone. Yeah. This is the thing. Like, I don't know if this is going to catch on, mainly because of the repetitive price. I came on here and said... It will catch on because there are wankers in the but world. But I will like, catch on big. No. You know what I mean? Like, no. And this is the thing that I said, like, if it's any more than $300, and at that I was kind of going, $300 is a really hard, high limit. If it's any more than $300, I can see this thing going down like a lead balloon. Um... I am going to be watching very eagerly in October, but there is not a fucking hope <laughs> I am spending money on this. No, no, no. Uh, what it will take, like, I will have to have like a religious experience trying one of these in a shop mm-hmm. for me to go, okay, I need to play this. Right now, I'm not impressed. And that's also part of it is that it's so hard to demo effectively. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like, I've seen nothing because it's so hard without putting on the headset yourself to see and I have no desire to go to a games convention and queue for three hours no but what I think they're going to have to do to try and push it on people is they're going to have to have a PSVR in like every GameStop for people to try because that's that's what it's going to take there, there is no way financially they can do that but th- that is what it's going to take if they like yeah but there, that's just you know not... what I mean like we'll, we'll see what happens we'll see what happens even the bigger ones I don't know but that is what it's going to have to take yeah. Because for most people, like with the Wii, they're going to have to get tactile. I tell with you it. right now, if they wanted to have um, demo um, setups installed, you will probably get one, say, in Ireland. There will be one in Dublin, and that'll be it. And then there will be like maybe two in England, one in Manchester, one in England, mm. uh, one in London. Sorry, like you will not get any more than that. Um, well, they could do like they did with the PS4. They could do like the Roadshow. They did yeah. that with the PS4 console. That would actually be a no, sure more cost effective. It would make it into an yeah, event thing. I'm I would sure like if one of those pulled up in Dublin or pulled up somewhere near here. I'd be tempted to go to that oh, rather yeah, than like right. a games. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah, we should go. we should tweet you tweet at USP. Yeah, here's an idea, bud. <laughs> Have this one for free. We'll call a favor. Yeah. Uh, moving on to some of the smaller news stories. We won't spend uh, too much longer on any of these because I'm conscious of time. Um. Xbox have killed off Lionhead Studios, uh, kind of one of the better known UK developers. Uh, Peter Molyneux's baby, uh, best known for the black and white games and Fable games. Obviously, as part of this closure, it looks like Fable Legends is dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless it does get moved to another one of Xboxes, but it doesn't look like it will because you'll have to take Peter Molyneux with it, kicking and screaming. Um, thoughts on this as a guy who studied games development, as a guy who is from the UK... I'm sure even though I don't think you're a Fable or black and white fan. No, I think Fable's god awful. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I think as a guy who like would support him, assuming UK games development, oh, it must be kind of a... It is a bit of a bummer. Like I don't care about black and white and I don't care about Fable, but it is kind of sad to see. Yeah, There's very few UK-based developers left. Like It all seems to be America, Japan, and now, thanks to The Witcher, Poland. Yeah, I, a lot of the, the UK-based developers are all kind of small-scale stuff like Hello Games these days. Mm. Um, but the kind of the two, the, or maybe three that I think of off the top of my head is Rare, in whatever fucking capacity they, they live in now, um, Rockstar, and Lionhead. Yeah. And uh, Ready at Dawn are being killed off, aren't they? Ready Isn't that the, the people who did the order? Well, I mean, so they should. <laughs> And who are the uh, Gran Turismo? They're UK based, aren't they? 
yeah, I mean, I suppose they're still going strong in some regards. Yeah, Gran Turismo, they're off here. Just keep talking. Yeah. So, no, it, it is sad, obviously, but obviously um, the news came out that Sony are going to have... Um, was it the Sony announced they're, they're having some sort of uh, jobs fair kind of thing, so people from Mineheads... Yeah, really nice of them. Yeah. Uh, although, obviously, done for the publicity entirely, but still. I... They're very good intentions involved, come on. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it can be altruistic and selfish at the same time. But it is to Sony's benefit, because there are obviously some very... very Polyphony Digital, that's yes, who it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are very talented people that work for Linehead, regardless of my thoughts and feelings on the Fable series uh, but yeah no, it's, it's a shame uh, and it's Gran Turismo Sport is coming out this year so they're okay. still they're still working yeah. on it I think they're UK based yeah. anyway. but where one studio uh, dies another two or three will, will pop up somewhere mm. whether some people from Lionhead go and make their own startup companies start working on smaller projects because it's just the world we live in these days where that kind of thing can happen um, so it's a shame but I'm sure good things will come out of it uh, we had our first details from GDC this week of uh, Telltale Games' Batman, which I think is one that... I just don't uh, even know how I feel about that. Um, some details here are making me very interested. I think something that we probably could have guessed anyway is that uh, there's going to be a day-night cycle to it. Uh, they're going to be... During the day, you're going to be Bruce Wayne doing different things in Bruce Wayne's life. During the night, you're going to be Batman doing Batman stuff. And the decisions you make in day and night affect the other. So the decisions you make as Bruce Wayne during the day could affect the enemies that you're coming across as Batman. The way you choose to deal with your enemies as Batman could affect your day-to-day -day life as Bruce Wayne. Um, in addition to that, and this was the one thing from the end of this story that I was very interested in. Batman, uh, firstly, they have said as well, it is not going to be based on any existing interpretation of Batman. So in like TVs, movies and things like that. So it's not going to be like Gotham. Thankfully for most people who say that. It's not going to be like the Chris Nolan films. It's not going to be like the Zack Snyder films. Yeah. Um, it is not going to be like the cartoon. It's not necessarily going to be like the comic book. I imagine it's going to cherry pick from each of these without necessarily Well, there are so many iterations like. of Batman now. That's the thing. Yeah. It has a wealth of stuff to draw from without necessarily copying anything. Um, here's the interesting thing. Batman will be rated mature 17 plus with the cinematic approach reportedly feeling more akin to an R-rated film which I think is how you have to do Batman. Well, I mean... Apart from the animated series. The animated series is the only one that manages to not do Batman R-rated and still be amazing. Oh, yeah. Or still not do it. At it. Like, it is very dark and Aldi, but it's also for children. Yeah, the animated it's, series is fucking one of the best things ever. Yeah. As well as I can say. It's like Chris yeah. Nolan films and the animated series are right on a par with each other, yeah. apart from the outside of the comic books of adaptations of Batman. Um, but yeah, that's uh, sure. I'm I'm intrigued, and it's coming this summer. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really big into the Telltale games, but um, I don't know, I'll probably watch you play it. Yeah, that's yeah, it'll make a good stream. I do enjoy those Telltale games. Um, I, I do enjoy the narrative, even if they aren't very video gaming. Mm. Uh, I do enjoy the narrative. Uh, we have some of our first details about the My Nintendo Reward Scheme. Um, it's a little convoluted, shockingly, for something that involves Nintendo and the internet. It's convoluted. Um, but uh, here you go right so um, it's a point scheme for which you can claim discounts and things like that uh, you get these things by either paying for, uh, buying games or you can um, interact with your Nintendo account or play this new mobile app called Mitomo that I think we talked about before on the show that's coming out it's their first smartphone app that's part of their DNA partnership yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so purchasing games will net you gold points. Everything else, including interacting with your Nintendo account, this is from Eurogamer, by the way, regularly logging in and playing Miitomo will net you platinum points. Uh, there's a breakdown on the Eurogamer article here, which I'm not going to go into because it's very boring and numbers-based, about what different things, like, for example... Purchasing software, you'll get uh, that uh, purchasing software that's worth one thousand and one to two thousand yen will get you twenty gold points, things like that. And then there's a big list of uh, how you can, uh, what you can get for that. So Donkey Kong Country Returns, the Wii U port of it, is going to be three hundred and twenty gold points. So there's a lot of virtual console games in there, and then the other thing you get is discounts of current gen games. Um, it's still not quite there. I want some sort of achievements trophy system as part of your Nintendo Network thing. I think it's fucking ludicrous that it has gone this far and they don't have that. And if they don't have that with NX when that report allegedly launches later this year, I think they're really missing out because that meta game of trophies and achievements, I'm not massively into the achievements on Xbox, but I'm pretty sold on, like for some games, when I really love a game, having that meta game of trophies to give me an excuse to replay things over and over again. And I think Nintendo are missing a trick on the kind of social aspect of playing video games in 2016 if they don't hop on that relatively soon. Yeah. But uh, any ideas? Did you have any anything to add there about um, uh, just, the points? It, it, Nintendo have been playing catch up uh, for a while now with Microsoft and Sony when it comes to a lot of these online uh, things. And the fact that they closed down whatever, what was it called? Was it Nintendo Club? Yeah. Yeah, the fact that they closed it down and have started this up is, I guess, their way of trying to fix a lot of that but looking at the what you need to buy and and the rewards you get and how much you need to spend to get to, to get anything out of this mm. it doesn't really seem like a good balance um it doesn't seem like the majority of people it seems to be like um the way they had it with nintendo club except instead of exchanging an extortion amount of um points for real world things that they post you it's for games, games yeah um, which maybe I guess is more useful. Um, Although I, that said, I have a, a sweet little carrier bag for my DS <sighs> and a, a Yoshi-themed uh, handkerchief. Now, I'm not saying that Nintendo should go the route that they should have, um, say, like a PS Plus membership deal, and you can get free games. I th- or yeah, I think gold. for I think for Wii U, there's no point. I think something like that, if they're looking at it, needs to be it's uh, NX. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think the bare minimum I'm expecting from the next generation of Nintendo is an achievements thing. Yeah. Uh, the two, the, yeah, the two things I'm expecting. I'm expecting some sort of achievements thing. I'm expecting better communication between your handheld and home device. Well, that's the big thing that a lot of people. Um, yeah. I, I don't necessarily even mean that you can play the same game on both, but I just mean that they fucking communicate yeah. with each other. Yeah. That it's not as hard as it was for me originally to link up the same ID to both. I mean, I'll be honest, I am surprised that they have launched this scheme now. Um, I do wonder whether it would have been a better idea to come the time of the release of the NX or whatever it is. You look ridiculous, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Great, yeah. So, you just just cocooned yourself into your hoodie and you look like the top half of one of the stars of the clumps. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder whether it would have been a better idea to finally um, re... uh, just touch up the the 3DS operating system software 
um, and get that in sync with see, weather. I, see, I don't know how hard that would be to like without like completely throwing the baby out with the bat water and just restarting it from the ground up. But what I'm saying is that yeah, but even if they did that, but did it in launch with the NX. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it ha- I I think like that stuff is so hard. I think that's part of why it's so difficult to communicate between the two is because the the incomprehensible online system on both of those things yeah. is so hardwired into the OS for them yeah. that I don't think you can like you can make minor tweaks here or there that make things slightly easier but I think you have to it has to be next generation that the changes take place yeah well this is I mean whether they are working anything handheld wise but they have to I mean I hate the, the OS system or the OS on the 3S I hate it I hate the marketplace um, there's a lot of things they need to change up and tweak. Um, mm-hmm. I don't understand why they are like the, the market. The, the market shop for both the 3ds and the Wii U. I fucking hate both of them. Yeah. Um, and like the the PS4 and the Vita aren't like ideal. There are certainly things I would like to change about both of them. But goddamn, they're miles and miles ahead of everybody else at this point. Because I think um, one of the things I still have a problem with on the Xbox One is I think their store to sort of tap took a step backwards this generation yeah I mean the OS for the, the PS4 is as good as it has been as it's well, simple yeah yeah it's yeah. simple and that's what it really needs to be because you need to when people are trying to give you their money you need to make it as easy as possible for them to do that yeah. uh, basically uh, final two news stories for this week uh, Lindsay Lohan versus Grand Theft Auto uh, what have you been following this story right this story what? has been going on for this game have came I been out... following Lindsay Lohan no <laughs> This game has been out for nearly, like, the guts of three years. I think it's three years this autumn, isn't it? Because it came out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it came out, yeah, right. There, thereabouts. Lindsay Lohan, very early on, made noise that she was going to sue Rockstar Mm -hmm. because a character in the game who is kind of, um... A vapid socialite who's involved in drug and sex scandals as part of like um, I can't remember the character's name as part of this uh, these paparazzi side missions bears a very passing resemblance to Lim- Lindsay Lohan in as much as she is an American woman who is involved in these controvert these kinds of controversies that Lindsay Lohan is not a million miles away from in real life, yeah. and she has also been known to have blonde hair. Um, in terms of physical makeup, I always thought the person who has more of a lawsuit with them is Kay Upton. Yeah, yeah. Because that's who I think your one actually looks like. Um, but now it looks like the courts have given this a go-ahead that we are actually going to get the day in court. This is going to happen. We are going to hear this. Now, for me, and this is maybe just because I have the nuance of, like, I, thanks to podcasts like Hollywood Babylon, re- relatively... I'm relatively abreast of goings on in show business and I'm also obviously very well aware of things that are going on in video games. Because of my familiarity with both sides of this, maybe it's because of that that I think it's obvious that this should be thrown out because it's fucking ridiculous. And it's just her, from my perspective anyway, in my opinion, trying (laughs) uh, trying to just get a quick book out of one of the most lucrative video game franchises in the world. Um... It has gotten nasty as well. The guy who plays the voice of Michael on um, in GTA Five uh, tweeted out, "It's a stretch. Maybe there is a resemblance." Hashtag Lindsay is nuts and posted a picture of a cow. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, most people who aren't Lindsay Lohan seem to not understand where this is coming from at all. 
Um, it's going to be an interesting court case. Um, she reckons that um, the similarities are unequivocal, and there is in this Eurogamer story we're looking at a picture of the two of them side by side. And apart from the fact that they're both throwing the peace sign and both wearing bikinis, there's literally no physical similarity between the two of them. Um, Rockstar have replied to that by saying that she's just doing this for publicity purposes. Um, she's not backing down. Um, it's it's really really strange. Lacey Jones is the name of the character, by the way. Yeah. Um, I I don't know about this. Um, like having played GTA, like I wasn't necessarily reminded exclusively of Lindsay Lohan by this character and those side done those side missions. Um, and like it's kind of just more that she's generic socialite. Like, if there was, say, maybe a class action lawsuit or it was, like, her, Paris Hilton and a bunch of other kind of people who are famous for being famous sort of people suing together, going, this is kind of like a pastiche that combines all of us. Yeah. That holds more water. Like, this, nothing about this character reminded specifically of Lindsay Lohan. No, it more it it is more an homage no a parody it's a should parody I say of that culture of a caricature yeah of what those people represent what it is is it is a parody of a Saturday Night Live character of Lindsay Lohan <laughs> you know what I mean like it's You've so gone now. but yeah it's so removed from specifically her that to me this doesn't hold any war well, and it definitely doesn't they, they are not physically similar to me at all well, apart from the fact they are both Caucasian well from what I understand is she is doing it based on more from the perspective of the actual physical likeness um, which is silly to me because I don't see it no um, again like I said Kate Upton has more of a case than she does yeah. Uh, anyway, our final news story this week. Um, crack out the cheap champagne and the chauvinism because Xbox are in town at GDC. Pictures surfaced from an Xbox party at GDC this week of strippers dressed like schoolgirls. Yeah. This is the thing you found out right before we started recording uh-huh. and I'm going to read the response that just hot off the presses before we start recording but I'm going to throw it over to you first uh, to basically explain what this story is about and uh, your reaction uh, so from what I understand Microsoft for a party um, after uh, whatever day at GDC and ironically enough this is Al's after hosting a woman in gaming um conference of some description <laughs> literally could not have been worse timing yeah uh, basically there are pictures from a party posted by microsoft that involves uh dancers female dancers who are kind of parading around in um schoolgirl outfits mm-hmm. and pretty revealing schoolgirl outfits now whatever your stance uh, actually no fuck it if you have a stance uh, if you're from the 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 hashtag Gamergate side of things then you have no say in this war. like this is is ridiculous that in 2016 we be where we're trying to get to with video games to become this progressive art form that it would still revert back to something out of a fucking um uh trying to think what was that car magazine there's a, there's a particular car magazine where actually it's most of them where there's usually a woman on the front wearing not a lot it's like cars sexy yeah yeah uh, it's or even some tech magazines yeah sure video games are not that at this point in time and if you think that they are uh, go and have a word of yourself 
what more is to say really it's just it's quite um, shocking Phil Spencer has issued a response writing an open letter to the Xbox organisation he has said how we show up as an organisation is incredibly important to me we want to build and reflect the culture of team Xbox internally and externally a culture that each one of us can represent with pride an inclusive culture has a direct impact on the products and services we deliver and the perception consumers have of the Xbox brand and our company as a whole it has come to my ex- attention that at Xbox hosted events at GDC this past week we represented Xbox and Microsoft in a way that was absolutely not consistent or aligned to our values. That was unequivocally wrong and will not be tolerated. This matter is being handled internally, but let me be very clear. How we represent ourselves as individuals, who we hire and partner and with, and how we engage with the others is a direct reflection of our brand and what we stand for. When we do the opposite and create an environment that alienates or offends any group, we justly deserve the criticism. It is unfortunate that such events could take place in a week where we work so hard to engage the many different gaming communities in the exact opposite way. I am personally committed to ensuring that diversity and inclusion is central to our everyday business and our core values as a team, inside and outside the company. We need to hold ourselves to higher standards and what we will do better in the future. And what that really illustrates to me is that there is literally not a better man to be running Xbox than Phil Spencer. His streak of being just a top bloke continues here that just it would at least seem on the face of it that he's having he is completely ashamed of this and is actually investigating this and getting to the bottom of how it could happen and making sure it doesn't happen again in the future which I think is the bare minimum they can do at this point yeah it's it's an apology and it is a promise to do better in the future it would be better if they hadn't done it in the first place but if it seems that it was some sort of kind of like uh, decision taken at a lower level where you know the higher ups weren't consulted and stuff like that That's... he's doing PR right yeah he is he certainly is um, final little news story um, before we and I'm, I'm conscious of time here but I just want to mention this because this is just quite, quite funny to me uh, Jim Sterling popular video game journalist uh, YouTube personality um, all around He's one of the guys right up there with like um, a Jeff Gersman or Colin Moriarty to me in terms of integrity mm-hmm. uh, with regards kind of not kowtowing to pressure from various parts to say something is good or something is bad when he very clearly feels his own way about it. He doesn't go against the grain nor does he go with it. He go he kind of he um, holds he his own says it how it is. He does it like it is. Hot takes. Yeah. Um, a man I have always paid attention to what he has to say. Um, very 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 uh, clear and unique voice in video games and I think we need more of those but that's just uh, Jim Sterling in general check out his work very enjoyable stuff he is being sued by a company called Digital Homicide I'm going to very briefly sum this up and encourage people to go and look it up right so Digital Homicide are this company that make these kind of games that have reused assets from I think the Unity engine and just built an entire game out of other people's assets. Bad games. And they're really bad games. Um, <laughs> all, almost universally panned. And yeah. the only people that I think have said positive things about them are, in fact, the employees of Digital Homicide themselves. Digital Homicide games came up a couple of times on what Jim Sterling called his squirty plays yeah. on YouTube, which is where he plays a little bit of a game and then moves on. Or I think one of them might have come up on his best of Steam Greenlight, where he goes and reviews trailers from Steam Greenlight. Um, he absolutely buried them, as is his right as a critic. Yeah. Digital Homicide got very pissy about this and started to engage him in um, kind of um, what, to me, very much seemed like character defamation, the things they were saying about him. And 
where it's where we get the Jim Sterling's catchphrase of I'm Jim fucking Sterling's son is because they released a video parodying his review where they were trying to parody him with sub really badly done jokes and subtitles about how he's Jim fucking Sterling's son and Jim Sterling issued a response video to that which was much funnier and also thanked them for the use of what is now a catchphrase yeah. I'm Jim fucking Sterling's son which he has now put on t-shirts and is probably making a bit of money off because Jim Sterling yeah. um, Digital Homicide then uh, wanted to talk to him for a podcast so they arranged where there was a special episode of Jim Sterling's podcast Podquisition where he talked to Robert I think the guy's name was from Digital Homicide where they basically had the most awkward and brilliant one hour argument I have I it was fascinatingly awkward about how just this guy just was not getting it yeah about how like critics can say what they want and it does like in Jim's case he was right but it doesn't make them right or wrong it's one critic's interpretation of art you know what I mean or a lack thereof in some cases and he just was not getting this. They have not let it go. They've repeatedly threatened legal action against him. They've tried to dox him by uh, revealing where he lives. They have uh, tried to link him to other people with... Uh, I can't remember who it was. Someone else, Sterling, trying to dox him that way by saying, oh, is this a relative of yours? And he's like, no, what the... Oh, what? Yeah. Um, and things like that. And I, to my... There was kind of... Jim does a video on I think it's called like the the digital homicide saga or something like that on his YouTube channel you should go look at that he sums it up better than I ever could because he's obviously directly involved with it what it is is a small scale comparison to uh, what Trump would want to do if he becomes president where basically when negative press comes his way yeah. he has the right to just yeah. outright block because it they did things like I think it was them oh no, no maybe it wasn't I won't say it if it wasn't um, but they've done different things with their Steam pages and stuff like that and they've changed their company name a bunch of times to try and get away from it uh, to try and not get the negative because obviously this has gotten them a lot of negative press and a lot of people um, whether Jim Sterling enthusiasts or not have gone on and given them shit over this and Jim Sterling has said at every point in this he is not encouraging people to do that no. um, although Digital Homicide in that interview with Jim Sterling would have you believe that he is actually deliberately orchestrating all this Jim Sterling no, so no, now this, it would this, seem this, thing, like, this is part of the problem is you will get people who have the right idea but go about it the wrong way. Um, yeah. And people like Sterling and others of this type will rightly so as a critique go and say this is a bad game. And then you get people who come along and basically the, they have the right intentions but just they have the wrong way about going about these things. And they just end up making the situation a lot worse than it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, in short, it is very fucking silly. It is very, very funny. I can't do it justice. Look up Jim Sterling's video on yeah. the whole digital well, homicide they, they debacle. They are suing him now for. They are like, suing him for like uh, character defamation and libel and things yeah, like that. It's just not been hold up in court. No, I don't think so. Like, I think he's pretty much protected under free speech because he lives in the continental US. Like, yeah. I think he lives in Mississippi somewhere or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure he's protected under journalist rights and free speech and all that sort of shit. So I think that one's gonna just uh, peter out hilariously. Um. Anyway. That is the news. Yep. We are done. A lengthy news session this okay. week. We're going to move on now. It's book club time. And this week, a very special game um, from our childhoods. We are going to talk about GoldenEye 007 on the Nintendo 64. See reflections on the water. More than darkness in the depths. 
is a first-person shooter video game developed by Rare and based on the 1995 James Bond film Goldeneye. It was exclusively released to the Nintendo 64 video game console in August of 1997, two years later. Uh, the game features a single-player campaign in which players assume the role of British secret intelligence service agent James Bond in a plot which I won't go into because it's Goldeneye. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's a good film. Uh, Goldeneye 007 was originally conceived as an on-rail shooter inspired by Sega's Virtua Cop uh, before being redesigned as a free-roaming shooter. Uh, it had a spiritual successor in Perfect Dark, which we're both fans of, uh, which was also developed by Rare for the Nintendo 64. Uh, and it's had a re-imaging called Goldeneye 007, published by Activision, which was released for the Wii and Nintendo DS in 2010. Uh, also later re-released as Goldeneye 007 Reloaded for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 the following year. Goldeneye 007. Now, when you talk about the uh, Nintendo 64 and give a uh, top three games for that system, in my mind what you usually will hear is Mario 64, uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and Goldeneye 007. There's a couple that might kind of fall into that category. No mercy. <laughs> uh, but when you think about multiplayer games, yeah. GoldenEye 007, without question, unequivocally, has to be in that list. There are, um, in the history of first-person shooters, there are three, in my mind, important, important games. The two that move things forward in terms of both multiplayer first-person shooters and just the idea of a, of a first-person shooter moving around in a 3D space, uh, on PC, we're talking Doom and Quake. Yeah. And I think the one that makes a difference on consoles is GoldenEye. Mm -hmm. I think it's the one that very much kind of laid the foundation, really. There were other shooters in around the time, but I think this is the one that you will find if you go and pull aside random developer on Call of Duty or random developer on, you know, first person shooter number 43 uh, on Xbox or something like that. Um, If you ask them one of their inspirations for working on a first person shooter, I think most of them are going to say Goldeneye. Um, it is a game that certainly certain elements of it have not aged fantastically no um there are games that do similar things better like for me my personal preference has always been perfect dark um and that is just like i said that is a personal thing i i recognize that certain features about perfect dark aren't as good as goldeneye but goldeneye is certainly um an important game in history it is a game i, I spent a lot of time on as a young man it is a game i would be more than willing to go back to again it is a game that i think might be one of the best officially licensed movie adaptations into a video game we have ever had well it's that water world for the virtue boy um well, there's a couple of other decent ones if i sat down and thought about it i remember the the punisher game on ps2 being surprisingly good uh, things like that but none in the kind of like a I can't think of any other that would be in a... Spider-Man 2 for the GameCube. I can't think of any others that would be in a top... Whatever, but top three, but a top ten of a generation list. Yeah. Um, 
your kind of can you cast your mind back to nineteen ninety seven? Your early impressions when you when you got hold of Goldeneye or yeah. Now here's the thing. So when I got this game, I hadn't actually seen the film yet. Um, ah yeah. So I because I got confused by this for a few years when I when I go back to think about this, I couldn't remember um, where I was in terms of having seen the Bond films and having played Goldeneye. But it came to me at some point in a dream that I hadn't seen the film. The film came a lot later, mm -hmm. uh, which is saying something considering that the, the film came out two years beforehand. And I remember watching the film um, and hearing the sounds and seeing the set pieces and realizing you know, just how in sync they were with the video game. And this is the thing about, you know, there were low tons of games that were licensed um, up until that point, but most of them were terrible or just had a kind of good idea, but you couldn't get the general feel and the vibe and the atmosphere of what the film was going for in a game, just from a te technological perspective, it just wasn't possible. Mm. GoldenEye came along and it had the tone and the feel and it had the set pieces that all felt part of the film. Um, a large portion of that is the sound design. Uh, both yeah. the soundtrack uh, follows the, the, the film, but the actual, the sounds of the guns. You know, when you think, uh, when you play a Call of Duty game now, uh, uh, an automatic rifle just sounds like an automatic rifle. In my head, I can hear the sounds of each of the guns from Goldeneye, I don't know exactly which one of them are, uh, like the, the silencer, the Wolfram uh, PPK-7, that's what it's called. Uh, the club. Know, the club, you know, yeah, I, I, I can know what the club sounds like, I know what the uh, AK-47 sounds like, you know, they have a very distinctive sound to them um, that you don't really get so much with games these days, they all just sound bang, bang, shooty, shooty. Um, one of the things about Goldeneye that differentiated it from, say, Doom, for example, was the element of stealth that was involved. You know, mm. you are a secret spy, after all. There was a lot more placed on you to try and get about, sneak about where you could, with your silenced gun, to not draw attention to yourself. Where, say, in Doom and Return to Wolfenstein and whatever, up until that point, it was about just mowing your way through as many enemies as possible. Uh, and Goldeneye had a completely different perspective and you know it's a good comparison there to make because if you look at the evolution of first person shooter games you kind of go return to Wolfenstein, Doom um, maybe Quake I can't remember what year Quake came out I want to say like 95 maybe uh, but then Goldeneye and the key thing about Goldeneye is it was that console exclusive first person shooter you know Quake was 96 96 okay um, you know, Doom had was out on the Super Nintendo, Mega Drive, whatever else. It was on the console, but Goldeneye was that console exclusive and really showed what you could do um, mm. and was, I'm going to say, like a middle finger up to um, the PC Master Race at the time. But in terms of taking a first-person shooter and making a multiplayer experience out of it, you know, and making it so easily accessible because the N64 with its four ports you didn't have to fuck around getting a multiplayer or whatever because I love Time Splitters 2 um, 
but it's still a bit of a pain having to get the control the tap, having to get the multi tap, whatever yeah. you know. Um, it just it's just something that I look back on very very fondly um, from the sound design, from what it did for first person shooters. Um, and I would want to really, I want to go back and play uh, kind of an original port of Doom to see how it controls, because one of the things about Goldeneye, and you know, we was playing this with um, Brian the other night, and he couldn't get used to playing with just a single stick because you're so inclined to play first person shooter games as a, a dual stick experience now. Mm-hmm. But Goldeneye still feels second nature to me to use the stick. To move, strafe like a motherfucker, but to strafe with uh, the left and right C buttons, and it still feels gr- very easy to use because you got the trigger button behind you with the middle finger to use on your left hand. You know that feels so comfortable and natural for me. Like to to a degree that I still don't necessarily feel as comfortable using the R two trigger button to use as a firing button as I do to have the the B button on the or the Z, Z button. Sorry on the back of the N64, that still feels more natural for me uh, as a firing, as a way to fire. Um, and Goldeneye has that alone, you know. Um, mm. I don't know, it's, it's very interesting that they've tried a number of times to recreate Goldeneye or to recreate the experience of James Bond, but they've never gotten it the way they got it with the N64. No. There have been good Bond games. There have since. been good Bond games. I was a particular fan of, I think, Agent Under Fire and yeah. Nightfire on PS2. I think they always did a serviceable job of Bond games. And I think Nightfire is the closest another Bond game has come to recreating the fun of multiplayer Yeah. Uh, in a James Bond game. But I think you're right. I think in terms of like uh, something that's uh, said in kind of hushed and reverent tones... A James Bond game hasn't come close. They tried to sequel Goldeneye on late PS2 era, I think, um, and that was no good. Um, but yeah, it's something that like, and the the strands of it are very clear uh, going forward into Perfect Dark. Like you said, it's a spiritual sequel. There are certainly things that there are a lot of commonalities between the two. Um, but it is like it. It's a thing that I can't... There's, there's nothing really I can say that you haven't already said, but it is... It can't be understated how important this was for the whole first-person shooting genre going forward. I personally don't think we would have had... Kind of... like they The games would have existed, but I don't think they would have been as... They owe a lot, shall we say, the likes of a Call of Duty, the likes of a Time Splitters and stuff like that. They owe a lot to the the Holy Trinity, shall we say, of Doom, Quake and Goldeneye. Mm. Uh, like I said, whereas Doom and Quake really revolutionised first person shooting on PC, this was the one that did it for console. Yeah. In a way that then I think Time Splitters 2 went and improved on the multiplayer idea for... Um, consoles it is um, one thing that's always curious to me is that I I love how successful it was despite the fact that it came out two years after the film yeah that's one of the curious things Um, I love the idea the the, you know the original idea that the multiplayer was going to feature multiple James Bonds Mm -hmm. uh, Connery Moore and Dalton but they couldn't get the imaging rights so they had to use uh, odd job, 
on the top. Um, Boris Omarov. Am I missing anybody? Double O Six. Double O Six. Alec Trevelyan. Yeah. Um, and it is one of my. It's great as well because it's one of my favorite modern Bonds. Um, I think it's the only one of Pierce Brosnan's movies that I can actually stomach now. Tomorrow Never Dies, I think, also is all right. That's a conversation for another day. Yeah, I think Tomorrow... <laughs> well, I, look, honestly, I think Tomorrow Never Dies gets pilloried more than it should. I don't think it's a good, a great Bond movie, but I think it's a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for. But that's besides the point. Um, we'll wrap things up again because we're, uh, we're coming up to the... Well, I've, I've, time I've got here. just a couple of other things I just need to quickly say. Yeah, that's um, what I, yeah, I was going to come to you for your wrap up. Um, well, it's not quite the my elevated sales pitch, but yeah, like, um, it has a few things like it, the levels are varied in that um, it's not just set with an easy or difficulty setting. You know, you have you can pick agent double O agent, um, and you can have like however many objectives that you want to do. I really like that it gives you those options. Um, I like the fact that the levels are really varied, you know, um, you've got some levels which are just kind of a, a linear progression, but then you've got, say, like the ferry, where you've just got this one kind of, I say open world, it's only the ferry, but y you are um, kind of free to explore that as you like, where even you've got, um, say, like the opening um, uh, tanker level in Modern Warfare, you know, that's still a very linear progression that you follow, even though you're on a kind of open world uh, kind of boat experience. Um, again, I like the fact that it, it kind of really introduced uh, stealth mechanics in a way, and as I've, I've said many times before, I fucking hate stealth, but this is a game where it, you only have to kind of go with it in, in small pieces, if you mm. will. Um, and I like just the fact that it... it takes a lot of the elements of the film and a lot of the set pieces and it really just has that feel and tone of a, a Bond film in a game yeah. um, I do feel that for anyone that hasn't played it um, and comes to it with 2016 eyes it's a very hard game to appreciate yeah if you're like that. if you're like Brian and you didn't come to it till you were like 20 like he was Xbox 360 he's on record Xbox 360 was his first console yeah not only that, but he's kind of, um, I don't want to say because it sounds like insulting to say narrow-minded, but he's certainly um, not someone who can easily fit himself into the broad spectrum of what video games can be and what they used to be. And he's certainly not the same enthusiast for gaming history as the two of us are. So I think it became very hard for him to try. Like, I think he lasted here about 15 minutes when we were playing it, maybe yeah. 20, um, before he gave up. Um, but I'm not knocking for anyone that can't come to this and appreciate it for what it is, because I, I get it. Um, because even with my um, rose-tinted glasses that I wear when looking at Goldeneye, I can see that it doesn't look pretty, you know, for one thing. And that's an issue with a lot of N64 games. But I do feel that um, the multiplayer aspects of it, and even if you just take the time to, um, you know, spend a little bit of time with a single player mode, you know, um, it doesn't have anything where it doesn't give you kind of objective markers. You know, you're kind of free to explore uh, on your own uh, of your own accord. Um, there, I I feel that it is possible to enjoy the game, even if you've never come to it before. But at the same time, I can understand why you wouldn't be able to. Yeah, no, perfect. 
Um, if I were to say to you now, at this point, our usual closer, your elevator pitch for Goldeneye 007 on N64. You've gotten into an elevator with me. I have no idea what Goldeneye 007 is. And by the time we get off on the ground floor, I need to be coming out of that elevator going quick. Where can I get a copy of Goldeneye 007? How are you selling it to me? Um, it is, I, I feel, a very important um, piece of video gaming history in terms of the progression of the first person shooter. It's still to this day one of the best uh, licensed video games, movie licensed video games. Um, it has an incredible soundtrack, very memorable one. Um, and if you can get three of your friends with you to play the four player multiplayer experience, uh, I still think it's a very enjoyable time because I feel the levels that are set up for the multiplayer experience um, are, you know, they're, they're very boxed in their the, the design because what the N64 is capable of at that point. Uh, but get four of your friends together, play Golden Gun only rules, and uh, I, I still think there's a lot of fun to be had there. Fair enough. So that's... Um... Goldeneye 007, one of the big ones that was on the list uh, when we started this show that we were going to get to eventually out of the way. And our last bit of business is to announce what's going to be here for our last canonical show before we go. Mm -hmm. I am going to stick in the same vein of not only shooters, but I am also going to stick to the idea of something that was on our list from the very start. Yep. I'm going to take us, and obviously it should be Brian's go, but Brian's not here this week, and I don't know if he's going to be here next week. It'll depend on how our days fall, mm -hmm. so we'll have to see on that. He's going to have to come on board, but that's the kind of thing. If one of us misses it, the turn skips, yeah, yeah. and I'll pick now. I'm going to take you back to 1993. Mm -hmm. That's where we're going to go, and we're going to go to PC. And we are going to talk about not only one of the most important games of all time, not only one of the most talked about and beloved and sometimes in some in some respects sort of reviled for maybe some of the, the, the violence I'm showing it and the very first game I have any memory of ever playing next week on this show we are going to talk about Doom I think it's a nice one-two that we have a discussion with Goldeneye where we mention Doom a lot as being one of the things that um, Goldeneye has to thank for its, its presence in consoles and also, I think it's it's about time. Yeah. <laughs> we could hold off until May when the new Doom comes out, but I think that might be maybe a time for Doom 2 or mm -hmm. something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, so Doom is what's coming up next week. Sounds like a plan. Cool. Without further ado then, um, I think this week maybe then I'll leave the, the wrap-up to you. Um, right. Where can you find us? We you, not we, you can find us at Link to the Cast on Twitter. You can find us at Link to the Cast on Twitch, where we have been uh, doing some streams of stuff like Heavy Rain and uh, Hitman, and uh, I'm sure we'll find some time to do some other bits and pieces. You can find us on YouTube, where all of these videos go up, including our playthrough we are doing currently of Pokemon Blue. Um, where I'm um, putting a new series up where I dive into the Mega Drive where I plan on playing every single power release to Mega Drive game because I clearly don't hate myself enough already uh, you can go on to linktocast.wordpress where you can see where updates for stuff like this come along 
Um, and then obviously, please do subscribe to us on iTunes and give us some good comments and feedback because and ratings and subscriptions uh, and the whole lot that helps obviously with us getting out there and people getting to know about us because that's what it's all about bumping us up that new and noteworthy category that's which we have featured on a couple of times all about. and we do appreciate all the kind comments tweets and things like that the people following us in the streams i've noticed uh, a few people must be uh, checking out the streams more than they used to they've been uh, heeding our warning to go to twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast mm-hmm. and keeping an eye out we do always tweet out or put a post on the uh, WordPress when we are going to do a stream so that you can join along with us so that it's not just like Keith Brony shouting at us. Yeah. Uh, friend of the show, well. Keith Brony. Which we do appreciate as well. There's definitely, definitely a uh, friend of the show, Keith Brony, is welcome at all times. But um, yeah, ch- check it out. Uh, we are not just a podcast anymore. The podcast is certainly our baby. It's the thing the whole site is built around. But we certainly can offer more now, including, like you mentioned, our, our little quick plays and our, our daily Pokemon series and things like that. The daily Pokemon series, which it is worth noting, will continue when we are abroad in America. We will have uh, several episodes banked to put up, so there will be no interruption to your regularly scheduled content on there. Indeed. Coming up this week, there will probably be another stream of Hitman, I imagine, at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do another hour of Heavy Rain. There'll be more Pokemon, obviously. And anything else we feel like playing. If we get the tutorials on UFC down, we might try a bit of career mode. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, we definitely like to put different things up there. Make sure there's still there's always uh, content going up on that uh, YouTube there. And of course, individually, uh, on Twitter, I am at Dave Ryan IV. Mark Robinson is at Lithium Project. And Brian, the absent Brian, is at Cargin, C-A-R-G-I-N, 4107 on the tweet machine. Also, we got to uh, finally uh, make a shout out to our friend at v one on the Tweet Machine who has given us some new beautiful cover art that includes Brian on it for our podcast that you might not go up with last week's podcast. So shout out to Amo there. We always appreciate your fine work on our shows and you get to hear his voice for the first time on one of these broadcasts when we do our uh, pre-roadshow episode. So uh, for a link to the cast and for myself, Dave Ryan and for Mark Robinson here sitting beside me, uh, have a good week and we shall see you again down the road. (laughs) 